I'll be damned. You got a bear under your tail or something, mister? You saved my life. You already said that. What's eating on you anyway? You won't let a body thank you. Leave the bottle. Jed Grimes. Understand you did me a favor. I killed two men because they were going to kill me. They wanted to hang someone without talking over first. I know how it feels. You got a job? As of now, you're working for me. Doing what? Oh, don't worry about that. We'll think of something. How much a figure his life is worth? Let's say... Uh, $100. How much a figure I'm worth? It depends on how long you can stay alive. And what you're willing to do. I'll let you know about the job. In four days. Maybe then I won't be worth even a hundred dollars. Cast. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are here tonight bringing you another Beyond Nashy episode. This would be number 19. Um, we're covering a very interesting film tonight. Not to, not a genre we cover very often. Nope. We're going to be talking about... Only the about, second time, I think. Only the second time to only cover the second Western, time. Yeah. Correct. And uh, that's I, that's not because we don't uh, enjoy the genre. I think both of us love it. Oh, yeah. But uh, it is a rare thing to find a Paul Nashy connection mm-hmm. to a Western uh, they do exist, but they're rare. And to uh, demonstrate, I mean, we've been doing this for what, six and a half years, almost seven. Yeah, yeah. And we've done two of them. Western number two. Here yeah, yeah, out. yeah. Sadly, Mr. Yeah. Nashy never did a Western. Um, and I'll be honest, I've, I've been sad about that for a very long time. Me too. I'm sad and surprised that it never came up at yeah. any point in his uh, in his his uh, his uh, filmography. But it does not. So yeah, yeah. Well, tonight. We talk about the Spanish-produced White Comanche from 1968, starring a couple of uh, big-name actors and a lot of Spanish character actors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as well as one lovely blonde Argentinian actor. Yes. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> but yes, tonight, White Comanche starring Joseph Cotton, who does get top billing, mm-hmm. and William Shatner, who plays mm-hmm. twins. Mm-hmm. So if you were unaware of that, yeah, if you were unaware of that <laughs> until squared. now, yeah, that's right. <laughs> be prepared to be excited, um, or not, or not. Yeah. How you look at things, uh, we will it be. Might t- send you running that concept. Yeah, no telling. Uh, <laughs> you, we will be discussing toupees, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, we, much we, we will black be discuss- contact lenses. We, we, we exactly. We will we will be discussing uh, strange, metered, yes, uh, yes. strange metered strange uh, metered line deliveries. <laughs> but these things are for the future. For right now, this being the Nashi Cast, or at least a subset of Nashi Cast, we would like to bring you what little news. There's always a little bit of Nashi news if we can hunt far and wide enough. Luckily, the news we have to bring you this time around is not hard to track down. It was a very big announcement just a few weeks ago. That, uh, of course, we're very excited that uh, Crimson, sort of, we're sort of excited. We're, we're excited Crimson and Count Dracula's Great Love recently came out on Blu-ray here in the States. That is an exciting thing and very, very good. The more Nashy out there. Mm-hmm. In, it's a better uh, world. Yeah, yeah. The more there is on Blu-ray, the better. I mean, this is a phenomenal thing and we're glad it's happening. And the good news is that Mondo Macabro has entered the Paul Nashy Blu-ray sweepstakes. And they have two entries coming out scheduled sometime next year. We haven't got any kind of release date on them yet. But they have announced the two titles, and both of them are movies that have never been released on video here in the States. Yeah. Now, we have covered both of these films in the past, but that's just because we We've have... Covered our, everything, <laughs> just about. <laughs> we've, we've, our wily ways, if you... Mm. If you seek things out properly, you can find them. Mm. In other words, they were released on video in other countries. So mm. there. So... The two films that Mondo Macabro is going to be uh, releasing are The Amazing Inquisition mm-hmm. and the even more amazing El Caminante. Yeah. Yes, The Traveler or The Wanderer, depending on which translation of the title you wish to take. Possibly, mm-hmm. very possibly, the greatest film Paul Nash ever wrote and directed. Mm-hmm. Um this is exciting news. Very much so. Extraordinarily good news. First of all, and a stunner, really, with El Caminante. Oh, I mean, oh yeah. because we skipped, because I we jumped over so many other Nashi films that I would have thought we would have gotten on Blu-ray before. Yeah. El Caminante was certainly at the top of uh, you know, certainly you know, at the top of our wish list for. But I think we didn't even dare hope. You know, we figured I that know. would be way down the line. So it's pretty amazing that uh, that it's kind of that it, that it's come out this. Relatively quickly. So. Well, I mean, it falls into the late '70s period where Nashi was moving away from the horror genre because the the you know General Franco had passed away, and so the the restrictions placed on the Spanish film industry were being uh, kind of taken off, mm-hmm. and you were able to make different kinds of films mm-hmm. and not uh, have them looked at and possibly yeah. <laughs> possibly clamped down on by the powers that be. And so he really did stretch out and move out of the horror genre and make some very interesting films, things like The Transsexual, Frenchman's Garden, and El Caminante. And I I am not being hyperbolic when I say that uh, El Caminante may very well be the best film he ever made. Uh, It is not a horror film, but boy does it have a lot of horror elements within it. It is uh, a phenomenal movie, and we joked at the time... Well, not even joked, really. We said flat out at the time that El Caminante is the kind of quality film that I could easily see being released by the Criterion Collection. Mm -hmm. It is an excellent movie. I think that a retrospective re-release to theaters around Uh, around the world would probably change a lot of critical opinion I was just on Paul Nashi. I was say career. the same thing. I think it could raise some eyebrows among people yeah. who still kind of, you know, put Nashi in the the man who played dress up kind of mode, you know, yeah. there and yeah. I was uh, realized what he could really do. So yeah. So this is exciting yeah. news. Uh, Cheers to Marco Macabro, thank you. Precisely. Uh Inquisition is its own ball of wax mm-hmm. and, and an excellent film on its it own. Is. One that, yeah, we uh, very much enjoyed that. He's and that was yeah. and it's cool that these are coming out together because Inquisition is his first film that he directed and now Comandante is as you said arguably his his best 
directing, you know, best yeah. film as a director. So it's cool that those two are coming out together there. Phenomenal, phenomenal news. And one can only hope that uh, those do just as well as they possibly can so that yeah. we get future yes. releases of right. Paul Nash on Blu-ray. I, of course, uh, advocate for all of his films yes. to be on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Especially those couple that we still haven't seen yet because we can't get our hands on them. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few obscure ones that we yeah. have not yet viewed. It is true, but... We have become patient in our old age mm-hmm. and realize that uh, we'll see them one day, yeah. surely, right? Yeah. They're right? out there, yeah. They'll show up right after London after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, now you're just in the category of the second Being Valdem- a cynic, yeah. The, yeah, the, the second yeah. Valdemar Danitsky film that ne- oh, was yeah, either right. never completed. Yes. And, Knights know. of the Wolfman, was, was that what it was? Oh, or something, something like that. But the one that, that nobody's been able to confirm whether it was made or not, but I suspect yeah. was not. But it, 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 I suspect that it was partially shot. Partially, yes. There's I think a there's lot some definite evidence. footage. I think there's definite footage yeah, out there. But. Some, of the, some of the actors definitely, some of the actors who were in it definitely have gone on record as saying they were part of the production and this out of the other mm-hmm. but uh wow if that ever turns up yeah. even even if it's just uncompleted bits and oh, pieces God, what a what a an amazing sight that would be but nevertheless it's probably rotting in yeah it's rotting in someone's barn somewhere and all that's what i that's what i always say about every film's yeah. lost is it's sitting in a canister in somebody's barn somewhere and somebody will come across it and say <laughs> some cow <laughs> under the some cow, cow will... <laughs> under the hay he'll like yes. you know dig it up what you got what's there we got there bossy you know that you know and then like you know oh god well, well we i tell you what folks we we've got uh, a big discussion of white comanche coming up yeah and uh, we've got a few emails at the end of the show, so hang on. We'll take a quick break, come back, and start discussing uh, what it what it means to have William Shatner play twins outside of Star Trek. Hello, and welcome to Hello, This is the Doom Show. I am Richard. And I hate the burning. Shh, who are you? Speak. <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark, bark, bark. and he said, bark, bark, bark. And she said, bark, 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 bark. that's what I got. One is the Suspiria boner, the other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. which one is crying? <laughs> the boner of tears. <laughs> Hello, this is the Doomed Show, is available on Hello Doomed Show. Automatic.com and doomedmoviethon.com. Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show. Richard, Brad, Jeffrey, Nava. It's the Doom Show. Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show. Slashers, G.I. Low and Horror. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen, and that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please, come again. 
And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. White Comanche 1968 is a Spanish-produced Western starring William Shatner in two separate roles. That's right. Mm -hmm. You get two Shatners for the price of one, which automatically makes this film a winner from a certain sick perspective. So that is all good. Mm -hmm. Everything is great. Uh, I was fascinated to learn, before I ever sat down to watch the movie, that uh, John Wilson's book, The Official Razzie Movie Guide named this as one of the 100 most enjoyably bad movies ever made. Hmm. Hmm. Which immediately made me think that he was overdamming it with faint praise. Hmm. Because hmm. I don't know what necessarily you would call a bad film that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that's that's a very individual choice. Sure, yeah. uh, there are yeah. lots of people, uh, for instance, I love the film Flash Gordon. But yeah. for a lot of people, that is a bad movie that's just over the top and super colorful and silly and right. dumb and this, that, and the other. But I actually love the movie. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. is it a good movie or a bad movie? To me, it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. But to others, it's considered a bad movie. And yeah. that's, a, that's a sharp dividing line. That movie yeah. is a sharp dividing line for a lot of people. Either you mm-hmm. get into the spirit of it and you enjoy it because of mm-hmm. what it is and you're on board with it, or it's crap. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true of a lot of movies. Yeah, A lot of people have a lot of resistance to certain types of stories, certain types of films, certain genres, certain actors, whatever you can pick, you know, pick your... Mm-hmm element of film and run with it. A lot of people think of the majority of European produced Westerns as crap. Oh yeah. Yeah. They will, they will, they will give you the good, the bad, the ugly. They'll say, yeah, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. And they'll, maybe they'll give you a couple of others. Once upon a time in the West or something. But see that that they'll, they'll, they'll use the caveat of, well, that was produced here in the States. Oh yeah, sure. They'll give you that. Oh yeah. That that was made by an Italian director. That's technically an American (laughs) film. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, no, it's got Sergio Leone's <laughs> genes all over right. it, so oh, yeah. no, it's yeah. not. But at any rate, the question that comes into play is when you start talking about spaghetti westerns is there are people who love the genre completely, right. and there are people who are highly resistant to it, and mm-hmm. honestly, never the twain shall meet, but one of the great things about the genre, to me, is there is a lot of interesting variety within the European-produced westerns. Mm-hmm. That sprang up from about 1964, 65, and kind of really completely died died out in the mid-70s. Hundreds of them were produced, and I will probably never see all of them. But even the worst one I've ever seen, I'm glad I... Okay, no, I I can't say I'm glad I saw the worst (laughs) one I ever saw, because I just recently saw the worst one I've ever ever seen in my life, and it was a miserable experience. But (laughs) I will always end up watching a European-produced Western... If for no other reason, just because I find them an incredible curiosity. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that needs to be said about this movie is that it's often referred to as William Shatner's Spaghetti Western. And that is an inaccurate description, sadly. Because there's no Italian money attached to this film. Right. This is a Spanish production. You will find that other than Joseph Cotton and William Shatner... Mm-hmm. Everybody involved is a Spanish actor, with a few a couple of exceptions. A couple of exceptions. For the most part, you're right, yeah. and yeah, uh, I of course have already mentioned Rosanna Yanni being uh-huh. uh, she was born in Argentina, but she mm-hmm. is primarily known as a Spanish actress because mm-hmm. that is where her career was made. Right. The same is true of a lot of the other character actors in the film, some of which I'm sure we will discuss yeah. as we oh, go definitely. along. Yeah. Because there's absolutely no way we're not going to talk about Victor Israel. Yeah. <laughs> That's a given. Mm-hmm. But. Understand that this is not technically a spaghetti western. It's a Spanish western. And there are a whole lot of 
subsets within Euro Westerns mm-hmm. that had no Italian blood attached. Uh, they may have been mild co-productions. Some of the money came from Italy. But there are French-made Westerns, there are Spanish-made Westerns, there are German-made Westerns. Mm-hmm. And by the way, some of those German-made Westerns are awesome. So the thing you have to understand is, outside of wanting to come up with a fresh phrase, like uh, mm-hmm. sauerkraut Western, <laughs> the German ones, yeah. or, <laughs> or uh, I don't know, uh, escargot Westerns for the French <laughs> ones, there is a phrase that has been applied to the Spanish-made ones, which is paella Westerns. Mm. Which, you know, if you're hunting for a food substance to tack onto the front of one, I guess that's about accurate if you're looking for a substitute for spaghetti. But these films have a different look, a different style, a different feel. If you're used to spaghetti westerns, this will feel kind of natural. It'll fit in to that category pretty easily. But if you've never seen any of the spaghetti westerns, or you've only seen a couple or three, there's going to be a certain stylistic shift that you're going to have to make to follow this film and not feel like, that it's just weird as hell. <laughs> Understand that from any perspective, the film is pretty weird as hell. Not that it tells an, a story that you can't follow or has some mm. you know Lynchian choices and made in how things are done. <laughs> Nothing like that. But one of the things that you need to understand is that um, at the time this was made in the late 60s, there were a lot of these things being made. Oh, hell yeah. The way this thing got made with that western town there in Spain oh, yeah. is because that's where a lot of Italian westerns and French, a lot of different oh, westerns were yeah. shot there because yeah. this was a place that looked like the desert southwest. And so yeah. you could get away with claiming that this was mm-hmm. America, this mm-hmm. was the United States, this was Mexico, something like that, because it looked that way. Mm-hmm. And of course, filming mm-hmm. it in Spain gave you the added benefit of having a group of uh, actors who could very easily fake being either yeah. Mexican yeah, or right. Indians without mm-hmm. too much work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't always work, let's be blunt. And boy, will we get to that. I wish I had the, uh, you might be able to think of it, I wish I had, I, well, I didn't know we were gonna, I was going to come to my head, but the, there's the the actor, it just cracks me up, there's the Italian actor that's in many, many Euro uh, Westerns. Uh, he was definitely in like the first Sabata film. Always plays a Mexican. Always plays the kind of conniving, humorous, uh-huh. sort of Mexican. Uh, if I said his name, I'm sure you know who I was talking about. But, but his stage name, he's always listening to movies at, under a, under a Mexican like Span like Spanish name. But he's an Italian actor, uh, and <laughs> and he made him. Uh, like I, said, I wish I could think of it. But what's funny to me, what's amusing to me, is the whole idea of you know we're used to European actors having to Americanize their Westernize their names when their films are played here overseas or when they were sent out for distribution. I find it really amusing that this Italian actor had to go under you know his his stage name had to change to be you know to to make everybody think that he was Mexican. <laughs> See you know you know you've seen him in a freaking million yeah, yeah, yeah so his name was Ignacio Spala. But but he had to. But his stage name was Pedro Sanchez, so that is a pretty unusual. Uh, <laughs> because they wanted to convince the audiences that he was Mexican, because he was always playing a Mexican, and he was great. He was he was hilarious in these films and really entertaining. But uh, but yeah, I always find find him to be very amusing. Okay, well, still, sadly, he is not in this movie. But at the same time, there are going to be a lot of actors mm. to talk about in this movie. Here's how we're going to structure this, folks, in case you were curious. Um, <laughs> They're thinking structure? Nash cast? Wait a minute. Hey, <laughs> Have I stepped hey, into an alternate look, universe? Look, look, look we, used to be, we used to be very structured. And court, when we were younger. Court, yeah. I'm apologizing to mm. you now for us not being as rigorous in our structure as we were in the mm. early days. Back when we were young and foolish yeah. and, and went second by second through the film. I'm just, I'm getting old, man. Yeah, and I know. Court, court likes to keep them things on a watch, man, on the time. He's, 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 he's good at it. He's he good is. At it. 
And if and if you feel disappointed in me and Troy, I'm going to emphasize Troy. Uh, <laughs> if you feel disappointed in us, I apologize. Yes. But there's way there are way too many interesting things in this film to talk about. But I don't want this to become a seven hour podcast, and no, I fear right. that that's what it would become. So mm-hmm. what we're going to do is we're just going to have a we're just going to uh, read off a brief plot description that leaves out just tons of details, and then. We're going to march our way through the film, sort of chronologically, if I can maintain my decorum. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I can maintain decorum for this, Mm -hmm. because I will jump around like a maniac. And Mm -hmm. then we will talk about all the the points of interest along the way that we love so much. Mm -hmm. Or we hate so much. There are things... We, we will keep it a mystery as to whether or not we like this film. The ratings right. will come at the end, folks. Right. You must. We're you must. not going to give. Not going to. Not going to play our hands too, too too quickly here. Picture yourself in a space like the negative zone, where there is nothing that you can necessarily touch until you just get close enough to some giant rock and find out Anelius is behind it, or, or is it Anilus? Anilus is behind it. Oh, anyway, here's the basic plot for White Comanche. Drifter Johnny Moon, played by. William Shatner, is frequently attacked as he is mistaken for his twin brother, Nota, who leads Comanche war parties and attacks on the white population while he is having visions on peyote. Johnny travels to a Comanche encampment where he challenges his brother to a fight to the death in the town of Rio Hancho. When Johnny rides into Rio Hancho, he finds the town is at a boiling point between two warring factions with only the, sh- with only the sheriff, that would be Sheriff Lomax, played by Joseph Cotton, managing to somehow keep the peace. One of the factions discovers Johnny's prowess with his six-gun and tries to hire him. Johnny says he will give his answer in four days after the climax with his brother. Now, that is the very shortest form version of a plot description for this film, leaving out what I would generously refer to as the good shit. Yeah, yeah. Now... The nuances. <laughs> the, the, or you, the nuances. If you want to be kind, <laughs> we'll call them nuances. Now... Here's the thing. I, I do want to be everything but the kitchen sink if we don't want to be kind. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because the first thing I'm going to point out to you is that you can learn from that description that this is a movie. Let's just say that um, to to not tip my hand too far, but in a better produced or perhaps larger budgeted film, I would admire what they're trying to do with this script a little bit more than I do because what they're doing is that they are trying to wedge multiple. Western plots or multiple Western ideas or mm-hmm. tropes mm-hmm. into a single narrative to get this story where it wants to be because the basic story is really just these two brothers, these two these two twin brothers eventually fighting and killing one another. Either one you know one of them lives, one of them dies. That's what you know is going to happen. So that's the basic story, and honestly, that's about. I mean, you could maybe stretch that out mm-hmm. without adding other things, but this movie. They were, they were smart enough to know they needed to add other things in. So what they do is they add a range war between two mm-hmm. warring, warring mm-hmm. factions mm-hmm. that plays a lot. At first, when you watch this movie in the first little bit, you think, oh, this is a variation on A Fistful of Dollars or Yojimbo, Always, yeah, we're, where you have the, the guy come into town and there's the two warring factions. He plays the two of them back and forth, making mm-hmm. money and, mm-hmm. and cutting deals just you know to pass the four days that he's allotted before... His brother's supposed to show up and they have their fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not what this movie does. Mm. No, 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 no. The very sober, non-white Comanche brother, that would be Johnny, is way too morose and caught up in just brooding about the fact that his life sucks mm-hmm. and he's going to have to kill his brother. So they didn't want to do that for whatever yeah. reason. Then you also have the 
Indians on the Warpath mm-hmm. plot line that's going mm-hmm. on, which is mm-hmm. Nota, the evil yeah. Shatner, mm-hmm. who's leading his band of Comanches mm-hmm. on raiding parties, murdering and slaughtering white people just mm-hmm. left and right. Uh, and don't forget the raping. We'll get to the raping. Yeah. So you've got... And within their world, there's fractions, there's splits. Oh, there's, within yeah, the Indian right, world right. there, they have their own sort of... Uh, there's there's a guy who's uh, kind of fed up with uh, Nota and uh, his peyote visions there that yep. are, feels are leading them into destruction. And when you... I mean, when you listen to Nota long enough, you begin to realize, I couldn't take that guy for 15 minutes. So <laughs> yeah. That guy's yeah. full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you've also got... Um, a variation on essentially what I would refer to as the high noon plot line, which mm, is the mm. uh, the townsfolk who are too cowardly to, to stand up for their own town and mm. and won't help out the sheriff when bad shit goes down. Uh, we have that thrown in here as well with the townsfolk being uh, unwilling to help out Sheriff Joseph Cotton when the, it looks like the range war is going to break out right in their streets, which it does, mm-hmm. or the Indians are going to attack the town. So mm-hmm. it becomes this uh, little, that a variation on that standard Western plot line. Mm-hmm. Then of course you have the, 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 the family vengeance thing going on, which I thought for a minute, uh, when a certain character gets killed, I thought they were actually going to set up a parallel between the, the two brothers and the two, the, the General Garcia and his brother, who Johnny mm-hmm. yeah. kills because he's trying yeah. to murder him. Yeah. I thought they were going to try to set up some kind of, you know, parallel between the two, those two um, brothers. Right. But yeah. that doesn't happen. Yeah. They don't. They don't have time for that. And then, of course, they throw on a few other things here and there as well, mm-hmm. such mm-hmm. as. Uh, uh, the hooker with the heart of gold, although we never refer to the character as a hooker. No, we do not. And um, that's interesting and great. But as you can see, we're talking four or five yeah. possible plot mm-hmm, lines mm-hmm. that they wedge into this movie. Well, on top to of that, we also it. have and talk about one that really is not fleshed out too much. Is the uh, there's the one lone boy in town who immediately gloms onto Johnny as as, as someone to look up to and, and yeah uh, yeah you're right I forgot about that one but you're right yeah. yeah. That's uh, of course, and the boy has to come to a sad end. Mm, yeah, and to, 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 to make uh, to make uh, Shatner clinch his jaw a little bit. Yeah, so clinch, clinch his jaw. Yeah. Clinch his jaw. Yeah, tighten. You know, yeah. just kind of squint violently, yeah. mm-hmm. and then go into ass kicking mode. And yeah. that's, you know, that's what that's for. <laughs> so they put, they combine all these various elements mm-hmm. uh, in a way to get this thing to mm-hmm. roughly ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, even the, even the, I mean, you could make a, a whole movies have been made about the sheriff who's trying to keep a lid on the warring factions, and the you know, and that's just yeah. yet another uh, just just another little here. piece, yeah. just another little piece right here. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of odd things about this film, and I want to say that yes, you are getting two different characters played by William Shatner, but if you had the the hope, nay, the dream, of seeing two Shatners on screen simultaneously via split screen. You need to drop that wish right now, yeah, yeah. because this movie did not have the budget for a split screen shot of right. two Shatners at one time. Right, twarn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Give it up. Mm-hmm. That of course crushed me just a little. Yeah, as I yeah, got halfway through that. the movie and was like, they're never going to do that, are they? No, no, we just don't get that. No, no, we don't. Um, with all of that said, there are a lot of interesting things in this movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now, it should be said the director is a guy who only directed two features. He directed mm-hmm. a lot of documentary mm-hmm. shorts. Um, honestly, primarily is just a documentary director. Mm-hmm. But he only directed two features, and this is one of them. And uh, 
in a way, I, can, I, I I'm not sure exactly why, because he certainly he, he chooses his shots in an interesting fashion. There are a number of overhead shots. There are some uh, some shots where he is taking uh, great pains to move the camera within the within the shot and within the set. He's trying mm-hmm. to keep keep things fairly interesting. But there are also times when sequences are shot in a, a manner that is a little too flat. But honestly, no more flat than I've seen in a lot of other low-budget Euro Westerns yeah, from the period. Yeah. Well, there's times when he's having to film everything tight to cover the fact that he's got about 20 actors to work with, you know, for, yeah. to, to yeah. including that includes extras, you know. Yeah. So yeah. when he's trying to do big warring, you know, big traveling parties of Indians and big gunfights between new factions, and he's only got a handful of people that he can use. So Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think they do as good a job with that kind of stuff as oh, sure. they can. Yeah. Um, no, I think but, so, too. But here's the thing. And first of all, also, by the way, if you're looking for if you're you're coming to this with the from the perspective of someone who loves spaghetti westerns, uh, let me disabuse you of the belief that you're going to hear a fantastic score. Um, yeah, the score is a uh, the score is problematic. It's it, it sounds more like the score for like a gritty noir for city set kind of most of the story time. time you yeah. know, it feels like, it feels like a noir. The, it's the it's score, very jazzy. Yes, yes, it's jazzy to the point of being incredibly distracting. Mm-hmm. And the music itself is not bad. The music no, is just no, what is just poorly chosen yeah. for the matter at hand. It right. does That's not fit the film it's being layered under. And it's mm-hmm. um, it's only about... I swear to you, I think... I've gone through the film twice now, and uh, it, it, the music fits about 20 to 25% of the time. And that's 75% of the time where the music is drawing attention to itself in a bad way. Yeah. And you're listening to it wondering why... They could have. Why are they doing this? They could have gone with silence and been better off if yeah. this is what their choice is going to be. Mm-hmm. So, there's no split screen, sh- split screen Shatner, and there's not really a great score. So, well, and also I got to say right now that, and again, I have to acknowledge that I've not seen, I have not seen near as many spaghetti westerns uh, or or westerns of other countries as you have. I've seen a few from each. I've definitely not seen a whole lot of, of Spanish westerns, so I don't know how typical and feel and look this is of most of them. But this film didn't feel like a Euro western to me, you know. What and again, feel, what, and, and what did it feel like? It felt almost like it felt almost like an American-made film, really, really in a lot of ways, uh, except okay. in the fact that when I realized how many elements they were throwing into the mix, that felt very Euro to me because that felt very much like. American Westerns have this, you know, we need yeah. this and this and this. So that felt Euro Western to me is that kind of like overly yeah. heavy, you know, ideas and tropes, you know, archetypes thrown in to the film. But, but uh, yeah, but look, look why it didn't like, obvious character types. I mean, uh-huh. you have the, you have the, the saloon, the, the, the saloon owner and mm-hmm. you have the, 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 the cattle man, although we never see this guy's, mm-hmm. we never see this guy's livestock. So I don't know if he was cattle or sheep or what yeah. he was. And so, and as much as I as I do think some of the characters that they did try to make some of the characters fairly, you know, to flesh them out some, and some of them are interesting characters. Um, I don't know. I guess it didn't feel like it. It had as much kind of just that sort of of, of deeply driven kind of, of of character greediness, you know, that the that a lot of the, the Euro oh, westerns oh, like. Okay. okay, if I'm to compare it to yeah. the only other Spanish western we've covered, which is Cutthroat's Nine, that felt like a Euro western to me, you know, even though it's set in the snow and everything. Agreed. I mean, because of just the character Agreed. gameplay, because there's just a certain nastiness there. There's a certain. But um, you remember, know, but, but, Cutthro- Cutthroat's Nine is kind of famous for its for nastiness. it being too yeah, yeah being more it's nasty a little, than 
Yeah, and good. I know what you mean. Is there was a million of these films made around this time, oh, and, yeah. and you've seen much more than me. So this may look to you like many, many of these films you've seen. But to me, it just felt well, to me just the look of it, the color of it, the way it's filmed. I just felt like well, now here's this the thing. Here's, like here's, here's something we should point out to people: is this is a, this is a fairly easy movie to find. I mean, you can see a fairly oh, yeah, yeah. crappy looking version of it on YouTube, but I don't recommend it because mm-hmm. there is a good uh, DVD of this put out by Warner mm-hmm. Archives. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's. Uh, that looks quite good. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. Wi- it's widescreen. It's the mm. way the film is meant to be presented. It looks good, and it presents the film in what is currently just an, uh, the best way to see it. And it mm. and it mm. allows you to to examine the film and kind of evaluate it in a way that you're not that, that, that you're not fighting the film mm. while watching the film. Yeah. you're okay with the presentation because the presentation is quite good. Mm. But I think what you hit on with the music is another reason that I had not put it together about why it didn't feel. As much like a Euro Western, you know, to me was the sound, you know, was was also yeah, the soundtrack. I can see that. I mean, the thing is, though, I have seen spaghetti westerns with scores that didn't fit. Mm-hmm. I mean, remember, folks, the the music in this film is not bad music; it's no. just inappropriate. Yeah, it's yeah. very inappropriate. And the um, the thing is, I have seen that happen in your in in other Euro westerns, in spaghetti westerns, and various and various at various budgetary levels. Uh, I've even seen movies that I've loved with good scores where I've sometimes felt that the score was being overused or used incorrectly or pieces of music being laid over scenes that perhaps didn't need it or whatever. Mm. That's just a that's a scene by scene kind of thing. It's 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 when you get into a situation like this where you're going honestly <laughs> Roughly eighty percent of the time, the music in this film doesn't fit the scene it's under. Yeah. It's when it becomes a distraction, and that's what you don't want as a filmmaker. And unfortunately, that does happen here. Yeah. So I think let's put this in a quick time frame or, or time capsule for people, you know, listeners that this came out in '68, and for right. Rosanna Yanni, this is the same year that she was to make Euro horror history by being in uh, by being part of the first Paul Nashi uh, Wolfman film, Mark, Mark of the, the Wolfman, Wolfman, or Frankenstein's Bloody, Frank Bloody Terror. Terror, and for. Shatner, you know, you think about '68. I mean, he was still making Star Trek at this time. Yeah, he made this on a break mm-hmm. from Star Trek. There are some interesting stories. He ta- he talks about this in uh, one of his memoir books, mm-hmm. and um, it was a bad time for him. He was on break between seasons. Uh, I guess between the two second, and three, I would imagine. Second, yeah. yeah, between the second mm-hmm. and third seasons of Trek, and it was a bad time for him. He was going through uh, his divorce from his wife Gloria at the time. He was depressed and. Um, he did not enjoy the shoot. It's very, it's very clear. This is going to get a little geeky, but for those of us who are, for lack of a better term, Shatner fans, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, there are some things that you know about Shatner probably that uh, the normal human being out there with a better life <laughs> doesn't know. Get a life, people. Exactly. <laughs> uh, one of the things you, that we know is that uh, Shatner is a huge equestrian Fanatic. He mm-hmm. loves oh, yeah. horses. He raised horses. Mm-hmm. He had a horse farm in Kentucky for years. Mm-hmm. And he loves horses. Well, apparently this is the film where he really became enamored with horses. He had learned to ride horses for the uh, television uh, special uh, Alexander the Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was the film where he really learned a lot about horses. He says that he learned to ride while doing the film. Which is a big step up from just having just, to learn yeah. how to look like you know how to ride right. on film. Yeah, he's very upfront about the fact that the reason this film was getting made, along with all these other films, is because the Clint Eastwood westerns had been humongous worldwide hits, and so mm-hmm. of course everybody was jumping in on the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. He refers to the entire thing as a truly awful experience, and relates the the fact that he was going through his, the divorce from his first wife Gloria. 
and he was one of the few people in the crew who actually spoke English. So it was a difficult shoot on certain levels. Mm -hmm. He says he didn't get along with the director, and he thinks that the script was awful. Now, I would dispute him on the awfulness of the script in some ways, but in other ways, it's not great. Some of the dialogue is, (laughs) let's just say, off. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a whole lot of nice things to say about the movie, but I will agree with him that one of the best things in the movie... Are the gorgeous Spanish horses? Yeah, in it. yeah, yeah. And uh, if you watch it with someone who is like a fan mm. of horses, you will notice, as I noticed, there are lots of different types of horses, and they are all gorgeous. They're beautiful, 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 and that is a plus in a in a, in a film where, honestly, if I had not known this little information about Shatner, quote unquote, learning to ride horseback before he while he was while he was making this movie, I yeah. would not really I don't really pay that much attention to horses in a in a western. Yeah, unless there's some kind of standout. Mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. or some kind of uh, odd plot contrivance mm-hmm. that allows you to focus on the horse or there's a reason to focus on the horse. Well, there's actually one right early in this film I was going to mention. We'll get to that in a minute. But, oh, uh, well, okay, okay. Uh, it's fascinating to look at Shatner's uh, filmography up to this point. If you look at it because he had not really made that many movies up to this point. Now, he'd made a shitload of television shows. I mean, he was in every single television series made, yeah. I think. But yeah. movie-wise... He didn't have that many of them, and 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 the ones he did have were were pretty strange. I mean, he had the Intruder, which was the uh, the Corman made uh, or produced, or maybe Corman directed. I can't remember. Corman directed. The and then he had the Incubus. Now that that is a creepy and strange. That's the one that's film right, yeah. that's made uh, completely filmed completely in Esperanto language, uh, so. which is which makes it worth seeing just on its own because yeah. it's such an odd experiment in the first place. Plus, Incubus was, remember, uh, done by a bunch of the crew from The Outer Limits. That's true. And so that if that adds Joe interest... Joe Trevano and uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if, if that adds interest to you checking out Incubus beyond just uh, uh, William Shatner's presence and the fact that it's filmed in a, in a completely made-up language for no good reason whatsoever... <laughs> um, it was. It was. If you like the Outer Limits, trust me, it has a lot of the same feel, mm-hmm. uh, and you. It won't. It won't take much for you to make the leap from being an Outer Limits fan no, to yeah. finding Incubus an interesting experiment. Yeah. Notice, I didn't say a great film. No, but but interesting and yeah, very very bizarre. Just a bizarre film, and so so this these kind of films are what's making up his filmography this time. So Shatner at this point is probably really wondering where his career is heading here. You know, oh, he yeah. probably probably knows that Star Trek. Isn't gonna at this point probably think Star Trek doesn't have much longer to go. You know they had another. Remember, season it almost got canceled right. that second season. That yeah. third season yeah. was a was a fluke. Yeah, so. and if he's maybe thinking if this is the kind of films I have to look forward to, you know, so he's probably not. The, that's probably another reason why he may not be in the best of spirits at this point. <laughs> very true. Very true. I guess it's best to refer to to White Comanche as a bit of a cult film, mm-hmm. but it's. It's one of those cult films that you hear about more than you see. It's just never been one that uh, mm-hmm. I've sought out myself. Yeah, I don't either. think it's been, yeah. I don't think it's been incredibly hard to see. But now that I have seen it, I can kind of understand why. If you're a Western fan, you know, if you really are a Western fan, you could squint real hard and like this movie mm-hmm. a bit mm-hmm. because it has, as we discussed earlier, it has all the bits and pieces that make up a lot of really interesting westerns. Mm-hmm. It's just a question of whether you find this particular soup to mm. add up to more mm. than just the sum of its parts, whether yeah. you know all the ingredients mix properly. The movie starts with Shatner riding into view, mm-hmm. shot from below, mm-hmm. macho, mm-hmm. only partially shaved, mm-hmm. badass on horseback. <laughs> and then we very quickly see him almost get lynched by a bunch of people who just come out of nowhere yeah, yeah. and try to string him up in a tree. Mm-hmm. He's able to get away from these folks. 
And then uh, we see him right into an Indian well, village. Before we get that, I, oh, I do sorry, want to point out sorry. what I thought was something that I thought was really pretty neat, clever little scene that I actually didn't even really catch what was going on to the second time to my second viewing of the film. But when he gets away from these guys who are trying to string him up, he comes to the bluff and he gets off his horse. Oh, yeah. He slaps the horse on the rump and sends him running. And then he, he jumps off the bluff into the river. The horse circles down to the bottom of the bluff and meets him down by the river and he gets on the horse and, 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 and rides up again. I thought that's a great that's a little, great, bit. great little bit between the guy and his horse. It's like you could almost, you know, at that point you almost think like this is going to be like a movie about a guy and his really super clever horse, you know, but it's a, but here's but it's a great little, uh, and, and, you know. And, 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 well, it's good that you bring that up yeah, because yeah. that is a good place to, to point out that, especially on second viewing, mm-hmm. I realized that there are a lot of things like that in the yeah. movie yeah. that... Even on first viewing, you might go, oh, that's pretty good. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that the way it's filmed and presented in the movie, yeah. it almost undercuts the I agree with coolness you. of what they are yeah. showing you. Right, because like I said, I didn't even pick up on this till the second time through the film. You right. know, it's like what's actually happened here. You know, yeah. it's that, oh, he's, jumped, you know, he's, he's got this I, great connection with his or training with his horse right. that they've obviously been together for years. But then they leave it alone for the rest of the movie. You never do that again. And the problem is that what they needed to do was they're there needed to be extra shots mm-hmm. of him because he doesn't actually jump into the river. He just jumps down the cliff. Mm-hmm. In, other wor- in other words, this is going to be safer for him and the horse if mm-hmm. they go separately. Yeah. And he jumps. Now, what they needed was a shot of him either landing yeah. or on yeah. the ground. Yeah. Yeah. The horse, more shots of the horse coming down and the horse coming up and him swinging, you know, very right. coo- very coolly yeah. in motion, swinging yeah. up onto the back of the horse. And <laughs> you're then, right. And then it's, that shot of them riding off. Because then you get a sense yeah. of action that's and right. excitement. It's, you're right. It's bad when you ignore, when you skip over what's actually supposed to be the most exciting part of the whole scene. Right, what's right, actually right. Gonna, you know, Well, uh, there's another piece yeah. just like that, which I noticed on the first viewing. And on the second viewing, it really stands out, which is there are some very clever things in the way the movie is setting up its characters and showing you mm. their intelligence at times. Mm. And one mm. of those characters that gets undercut by this lack of attention to detail in framing and shooting the film is that when we're introduced to Joseph Cotton's character, the uh, the sheriff, mm. how we're introduced is there is a very good shot of the street of Rio Hondo. Mm. At first you can't tell there's something off about the image, and then you realize that, oh, what's sitting dead center in the frame of the shot is a is it, mirror. Yes, and so yeah, you're seeing, yeah. oh, to the left and right, you're seeing mm-hmm. what you're looking at and forward, but the mirror is reflecting what's behind. Mm-hmm. Then you realize, if you pay attention, because the movie yeah. stumbles over giving you this information, mm-hmm. the sheriff has set up two mirrors on the porch of yeah. his office mm-hmm. so that... One is facing the other way and angled perfectly, and the other is facing the opposite direction. Yeah, right. And so he can sit inside out of the sun and still be able to see up and down both yeah. street, both ends of the street. Mm-hmm. But the mo- you have to figure this shit out on your own. Because it's, the way it is, I actually just, when, as soon as I realized that was a mirror, I literally for a while just had kind of left it up to, okay, I guess he just thought that was a clever thing, way to set up that scene. It took a while, it takes a while before you, like you said, before you realize that there's a real reason to why this mirror is here and why they. And it's and it's clever yeah and it shows I mean it obviously I think I think there are things in the script that the director just blows yeah that's one of them Mm -hmm. and he doesn't it's not like he leaves it out of the movie he just Mm -hmm. doesn't emphasize it properly so that you don't get what was obviously intended which was showing how smart Mm -hmm. this guy is Mm -hmm. he has set himself up so that he doesn't have to be out in the boiling sun to keep an eye on his town Mm -hmm. and 
it, there are several things like that in the movie that you'll notice. You may notice on the first pass, but trust me, you definitely <laughs> you definitely notice it on the second pass mm-hmm. because there are things that are in there. And if you are paying attention and kind of sadly thinking around corners that the movie's not showing you, yeah, you understand what's going on, and it's exactly it's a bit it's a bit of a shame. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I agree. Well, after uh, well, well, the the reason uh, Good Shatner. Mm-hmm. Whose name is Johnny Moon mm-hmm. uh, goes to this Indian village. Mm-hmm. It's uh, he has a he he goes there. Uh, his his evil twin brother is not there, and then we see what the evil twin brother is up to. He is leading a raiding party, uh, attacking a stagecoach, mm-hmm. where they kill everybody in sight. And uh, in the stagecoach is the lovely Rosanna Yanni. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we have uh, we have Nota. That would be the evil Shatner attack. And although it's not shown, it is heavily implied and seems pretty obvious mm-hmm. that uh, the evil Shatner rapes Rosanna Yanni. Mm-hmm. And I will say that that sequence is kind of surprising in how uh, it's clear that the two actors worked hard to make the, the struggle between the two of them look yeah. realistic. Yeah. And I thought, wow, if the film is going to, I thought the film was going to go in the direction of, mm-hmm. of kind of uh, realistic violence of this type. Mm-hmm. And it, Kinda does, but this is the this is the nastiest bit of it yeah, right here, yeah, yeah. and even it pulls its punches pretty effectively because they're mm-hmm. not you know they're not they're not pushing they're not pushing things past the point of uh, it being able to sh- be shown on television. Right. Let's put it that way. Yeah. No, Tar's well named. His liver is white like his Yankee father. His heart burns blacker than the skin of his Comanche mother. He's white belly, like his name, the snake. Nota's brother talks like the white man he thinks he is. He's afraid to be Comanche. Eat the peyote. Drug of the devil, dream your dreams of hate. Nota's neither Comanche nor white. He's only death. It is because of your coming that brother stands against his brother. No. It's because the snake doesn't change his skin. He's blind to the truth that the day of the warpath has ended. He knows only to murder and steal. And everywhere I go, he follows with his thieving and killing until I cannot live in peace without being mistaken for the snake who is the white Comanche. You won't change. There's no other way between us. No, don't! Don't! Shut up, woman! Go ahead, brother. A woman has done your work for you. Next time, don't eat the peyote. Maybe then you'll be quick enough. So a character we should bring up because she plays an interesting Mm -hmm. uh, part in the storyline is uh, uh, Notaz. Uh, fetching squaw, <laughs> fetching squaw, <laughs> exactly. White fawn, white fawn, played by an actress that we have seen Ye- before. Yes, yes, very memorable role. She was the sunglass wearing, uh, mind manipulating, dominatrix uh, sci- <laughs> t- scientist in uh, Fury, Fury of, of the, the Wolf, Wolf Man. <laughs> so uh, we have seen her before, and we yes. have enjoyed her before. Yes. And in this, she gets to be uh, well. First of all, I got to admit, in this first scene, we see her, and I didn't realize she was supposed to be being, be playing a, a pregnant character. No, I didn't either. I actually didn't pick up on that either till 
till yeah, yeah, a little later bit later. On. Yeah. I think that her name is just pronounced Perla Crystal. As far as I, that's what I call. It. Yeah, it's as far as I. I hope yeah. I am not incorrect, but mm-hmm. showing the, an odd desire to do this, both she and Rosanna Yanni, cast in this film as the only women with actual dialogue, yeah. are both Argentinian born. Huh, that's interesting. I, I did not realize that. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Remember, she was also in the Awful Doctor Orloff. Yes, and she was uh, along with. Uh, Deanna Loris, I think. Deanna Loris, but also she was in a couple of other Franco films. Um, yes, yes, she was. You're well. right. Oh, yeah. The Mistresses of Dr. Jekyll, which is also, uh, is that Dr. Orloff's Monster? Is that the another title for that? The Mistresses of Dr. Jekyll? Or, I was thinking that might be Dr. Orloff's The Secret Monster. of Dr. Orloff. Secret of Dr. Orloff, okay. It's the one with Hugo Blanco, so I'm sure. Right, right. I get them all mixed up. Oh, God, it's easy to unless do. I've just, unless I've just seen them, I oh, get them mixed together because the titles are so, so damn similar. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, she was also in The Corruption of Chris Miller, which is a film that we will one day have to cover. I've heard you mention that one before. I've heard you talk about that one. And she's also in uh, a Jose Larraz film, Emma Dark Doors, <laughs> which is, uh, as I say, an, a, a Jose Larraz horror film that I hear very, very good things about. But I, I And I will admit that I have obtained a copy <clears throat> through the special mm-hmm. antenna, mm-hmm. but I haven't watched it yet. Before we go off any further down the road of movies that I want to be watching right now because I just remember to have them, <laughs> let's stop me <laughs> yeah. and talk about the fact that, they, I, as I just mentioned, there really are only two female characters in the entire film. Right. I don't even remember, other than shots of other <clears throat> saloon girls. Saloon girls. Uh-huh. A.K.A. hookers. Yeah. <laughs> hanging out in mm-hmm. the... Um, the saloon. I don't really know of. I don't. I don't remember there being any school marms. I don't remember there being any wives. I don't remember anything like no, that in this no. town, which seems a little odd. Yeah. I think we may. Yeah, we do at one point see the little, the doomed little boy's mother, mm-hmm. because she has to shoo him away from the gun-toting, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the gun-toting uh, gunslinger. Gun-toting, brooding. <laughs> yes. Brooding gunslinger. That yes. Yes. Done. You're just. My little boy, I know he's going to be the reason for you to go on a vengeance road. I just know. <laughs> I must get him from you so that, oh, he's been shot, damn it. Okay, but, uh, there's actually, speaking of women, there's actually two. Uh, did you pick up only the two bizarre names in the credits that I. Uh, Diana Loris? And Soledad Miranda. She's in there? Well, according now, oh, I again, that. again, I know IMDb is not the bastion of, uh, always the bastion of accuracy, but both of them are listed as. As uncredited in this film, and I'm damned if I could spot either one of them. Well, the only place they could possibly be is maybe. Well, there's three uh, different. The, the, well, the, 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 they could be one of the females in you know the saloon in, girls Indian, or the Indian, Indian camp. Get a, yeah, the Indian camp or the saloon girls, and that's it. Which means yeah. I'd have to go back and very carefully go through those well, shots. Well, I was aware of them being listed as being in this film even before my first watch, and two straight viewings through it, I I can't spot. Yeah, there are girls back there that could possibly be them, but there's no way you're going to get a close enough look to determine. I noticed that, I think, um, Soledad Miranda is, is uh, the credit it gives for her is, uh, I think it just lists her as India, which I'm guessing was probably meant to be Indian, which doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> but I did notice that in the scene, and we're jumping ahead here, but later on in the film when the whole town has to leave the town because they're about to be attacked and they're yeah. all kind of on the pilgrimage out there, there is a guy who's there is a man who's walking with a woman who looks sort of like she's dressed in kind of vaguely Indian and as an in Eastern in East Indian, you know, as in like yeah. kind of clothing. And of course, she had very dark coloring anyway. 
And I looked at that woman, I thought, okay, that possibly could be Soledad Miranda. But anyway, I, I, there's no, I mean, you know. Who the heck knows? You'd have to blow up the frame like, you know, 6,000 <laughs> times. To, so anyway, I thought. Well, I will say that yeah. if uh, if anyone out there, much like the two of us, are Soledad Miranda fans, yeah. of course there are the, the obvious just Franco films to, to mm. see her in her, oh, yeah. her glorious nude, nude mm. perfection. Mm-hmm. But uh, sometime last year, I finally caught up with the American-made Western 100 Rifles, oh, okay. which stars, um, it was a great cast, Raquel Welch, mm-hmm. uh, Burt Reynolds, mm-hmm. uh, it was 1969, 1970, somewhere around in there. And uh, the very opening of the film, first time you meet Burt Reynolds' character, he is in bed with a nude Soledad Miranda. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it is a glorious thing to see. <laughs> um, I mean, I think she spends her entire time on screen in the first few minutes nude, just being artfully mm. sometimes covered by a blanket. Mm. And uh, she's just, I mean, there's yeah. not that every time you, you see Soledad Miranda, you don't just get lost in the, in she's the pools of her eyes. Stunning but, woman. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's amazing. But once again, we're and unfortunately does not grace this film as far as I can tell. Yeah, 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 but, 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 but getting back to the woman that we the two women we do know are in this film are both stunning in the film, both do oh, good, yeah. and both do good work. You know, it, it, even under a bad Indian wig, uh, Perla Cristal does good, uh, she is work, work. and yeah. later on when she uh, when she has to short show some intense fierceness and physicality, she's very good at that oh, she as is, well. Yeah. So it, it's it's interesting to know that she could lurk behind sunglasses and do very odd, completely ridiculous scientific things. <laughs> yeah. and tell yeah. tell whole yeah. classrooms uh, full of students mm, just about these mm, mad things mm. as if they were everyday run of the mill, you know, yeah. you know, <laughs> normal. Experiments. But. I, was, I was hoping White Fawn would like we'd see her go to her garden and it'd just be heads there and she'd be watering these like heads there, you know, like in the like in Fear of the Wolf Man. Or, or, may, or maybe maybe she would have the, the, the garden that's actually in Fury of the Wolf Man, we'd find out what the hell those living plants are. <laughs> living plants. Oh those my freaking God. tendrils and stuff. <laughs> oh, sorry folks, I know we're like a okay, you know, we've we're wandered. only we're, we've we've made it five minutes into the film, but <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's, let's But this get, scene let's, let's yeah, just say that John okay so Johnny and Nota have their first uh, first bit of dialogue, and there's attempts at stilted Indian dialogue. I think is what they're trying to 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 do here. And here's the thing: <laughs> if you are like me, a fan of William Shatner, there is no way of getting there's no way of getting around. No, it's Kirk. Yeah, it's, that it's, he is essentially playing Kirk. Oh, he, is. he is okay. Yeah, there's no way to pretend that what he's doing is. Uh. Natural. Okay. Now, yeah. here's here's the thing. If somebody wanted to say, as I've heard many people say, that William Shatner's a shitty actor or a cartoonish actor or, or an over the top actor, uh, someone who overacts just ridiculously to the point where you can only laugh at him. If you have not drunk deeply from the well <laughs> that is the mighty Shatner's career. It is very easy to see him in bits and pieces or in you know certain mm, spots mm, and mm. say, my God, this mm. man carefully mm. <laughs> chooses how to do things that are strange. Yes. And it's true because oh, yes. his, his, his verbal cadence, his mm. delivery of lines, his, his, his rhythm as an actor and his insistence upon keeping that persona yeah, yeah. in roles that it would best mm. be left behind to play <laughs> yeah. can sometimes take anybody who has seen enough Shatner completely out of the piece, and you're just watching Shatner be Shatner. You are. Yeah, okay? totally, totally. 
I understand yeah. if that is something I could understand that if that's something that would keep you from seeing this movie or keep yeah. you from enjoying a, a performance mm. by Shatner. But I will tell you right, right now, and this is backed up by actual no shit good actors that everybody would say that's a good actor. Shatner is considered a good actor. Mm-hmm. He's an actor who has an, an has had a lot of inconsistencies mm-hmm. because he's a temperamental actor at times. Yeah. He's some, yeah. he's someone who if all if everything is fine, you're going to get one of the best performances performances you have ever seen. Right. He's going to be effective. He's going to tug at your heartstrings. He's going mm. to hit every emotional note perf- perfectly. He's going to seem as if the most natural human being on screen that you have ever laid your eyes on. Or he's going to be someone that you suspect is reading the dialogue off cue cards just off screen. Yeah. yeah. Now, I am a big fan of Shatner's performances as Kirk, especially in the mm. original series, I think mm. he, I think he's one of the yeah, he's one of the great heroes of television. You know, one of the great yeah. pop, pop culture heroes. You know, really. I mean, he's but it is his idiosyncratic line deliveries mm. that are both the best and worst things about <laughs> yeah. his acting style. Yes, yes. Because uh, I can make jokes all day long mm. about knowing some odd physical mannerisms that the man exhibits in certain mm-hmm. in trying to get across certain emotional states. Mm-hmm. Um, we can make jokes all day long and we will about his hair yeah, and the, yeah. the ongoing mm-hmm. very interesting collection of toupees that the man showed over the course of his career. Mm-hmm. But I will defend his ability as an actor because yeah, me too, even in a movie like this where sometimes it feels as if he's, Lowballing his emotional state <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to a degree that is probably detrimental to everything else going on. I still get a kick out of the weird way in which he delivers lines. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, there is. I mean, it's it's just so Shatner, you know. Yeah. It's just very, yeah. you know. And here we're seeing him deliver him back and forth between himself here, which I is know. which is. And I wanted so much more of that. <sighs> yeah, I wanted the split screen with yeah, Shatner yeah. staring at himself. And right. saying in saying bizarre Western dialogue. Bizarre, yeah. You know. um, one of the things that I thought this scene messed, kind of detracted from the scene to me. I don't know if you felt this way, but I, I again because we don't get the split screen because we get cut back and forth, cut back and forth. Yeah. I felt like at times their eye line didn't line their line of sight. Yeah. Didn't always line up the way it yeah. should when it's going back and forth. Like they don't always look like they're truly I looking agree. at one another. I agree. Um, Honestly, I see exactly what you're talking about. That's not something that bothered me, but that's just, yeah. I can see why it would, because yeah. as soon as you said it, I remember what yeah. you're talking about. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Now, did you immediately pick up on the fact that he had black contact lenses? Uh, I did know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until it's brought up in the dialogue later in the movie, I didn't know that that was something they were aiming for as a way to differentiate between the two mm-hmm. characters. Mm-hmm. But it was definite. It was definite that his eyes were darker. There was something like I didn't. I knew there was something different about him that I just couldn't put my finger on it until they actually mentioned it later in the film that our eye color is different. I was yeah. like, oh, that's what it is. Because I knew when I saw him, I was like, there's something that is different about him. But what is it? You know, uh, because otherwise they look they look pretty much just alike. You know, and so it's. But it is. It's the it's the dark. Uh, the black, the dark contact lenses. Well, I did think it was amusing that Shatner, <laughs> as as Nota, as the yeah. white Comanche yeah. of the title, uh, is shirtless throughout the film. Oh yeah, which uh, I'm sure for a certain segment of the audience is a mm-hmm. major plus. Sure they enjoyed that, mm-hmm. but I did I did think it was amusing that that's the way I thought 
Mm-hmm. At the end, when we have the confrontation mm-hmm. between the two of them, that's going to end up with one or both of them dead. Mm-hmm. That I thought that's going to be how we're going to know who's who. <laughs> yeah, and it, I it was goes in wrong. a strange. Yes, it does it <laughs> because does, it, we have it, two, <laughs> two count them two, bare chested Shatners for the price. Both of wearing one. headbands. I mean, he very deliberately makes himself oh, look just like his brother, which is was a strange. You know, uh, well, no, and, that, and that's yeah. a film. That's a filmmaking choice to get the shot done faster. Yeah, yeah, right. Because you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what that is. <laughs> I can tell you right now. Um, but, I, and I do, how about this whole, I love this topical, uh, this shows you when it was made, 68, that we have these, uh, uh, un, you know, this is a Western that uh, has uh, drugs in it, drug use in it. Uh, peyote. peyote. And, uh, oh, and by the way, I love the Shatner pronunciation <laughs> of peyote. Peyote. <laughs> well, I love the line later when he actually, when he's telling his backstory to Kelly, you know, the Rosanna Yanni, and he says, yeah. uh, he, you know, he's talking about his brother going off the rails. He goes, he started using peyote, you know, and all that. And it's like, I a, mean, a, like he's talking about, it's like he's talking about care heroin or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get him a peyote, man, you know. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> but I thought, like, yeah, this is a late '60s film. We got a little topical drug references here for the for the for the young crowd, you know, for the for the hip crowd. <laughs> it's been like this a long time, ever since the Comanches were forced onto the reservation in Oklahoma. We came into the world moments apart, never separated. We played together, rode together. We were, fact is we were raised neither Comanche nor white. The Indians thought it was all right to take white women as slaves, but they didn't hold one of theirs bedding down with a white man. Our mother died when we were 10, 11, grew up somehow. Came across some soldiers one day. They forced us onto the reservation, our being half Comanche. The Indians didn't want us. The whites. (laughs) Something busted inside him. He went crazy. He started using peyote, made him see things, visions, he said, a new Comanche empire with him as a chief. Some of the Indians began to believe him, follow him. Ever since then, everywhere I go, I'm mistaken for him, always accused of his killing. You said, after Saturday, everyone will know. You better go. So after the confrontation at the very beginning of the film doesn't go very well between the brothers, we have uh, the good brother... Uh, set up a, a, a kind of completely arbitrary yeah, <laughs> deadline. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's a... f- in four days, <laughs> the two of them are supposed to meet in the town of Rio Hondo and have this out, be mm-hmm. done with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's tired of, wow, of four his days, brother. We have no idea. <laughs> so, yeah, as I said, it's just arbitrary as hell. Mm-hmm. But that is the that is what gets set up. Mm-hmm. He's tired of his. He's tired of a being mistaken for his brother, who's mm-hmm. running around murdering and killing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, he he hates his brother because of what uh, of what he's doing because of what he's doing mm-hmm. and so you have a 
uh, situation where he's going to he's either going to kill his brother or he's going to be killed by his, by his brother and you get the sense that he doesn't really care to a degree which one happens but once again that's something that aspect of the character of Johnny the the good Shatner mm-hmm. is something that I wish the film had worked a little harder to bring out mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's another one of those things that I think is lurking there within the story yeah, yeah. but doesn't get underlined at all and so it's one that really only on a second viewing does it become evident that that's probably why this guy's as morose as he is. Yeah, yeah. Because the movie goes out of its way. Okay, once Good Shatner mm-hmm. gets to mm-hmm. Rio Hondo, mm. gets himself a room, and mm-hmm. just is trying to, just, just trying to wait his four days out, mm-hmm. there are, this is where we get the plot complications, but the things that we see the Good Shatner character do demonstrates that he actually is a nice guy. Yeah. Uh, he gets he, he 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 gets along well with the kid, which is of course mm-hmm. shorthand a shorthand way of showing you that he's, yeah, a, good he's a, guy. a guy. Yeah. On the way to the town, he stopped uh, a guy from getting strung up, mm-hmm. which is what involves him in mm-hmm. the uh, uh, you know st- stopping a lynching is what gets him involved in this these two warring factions having this this uh, soon to happen range war mm-hmm. uh, there mm-hmm. that's centered there in the town between Grimes and uh, the general. And so what you have are all the various plot complications that really aren't necessary to tell the basic story that are getting layered into this thing. Mm -hmm. But we have to have you have to have some reason to have a saloon fight, you know. So you get the saloon fight, which is which is a a, it cracks me up because they make sure that no piece of furniture does does not (laughs) goes unbroken in that fight. It's just like every single table in that place in this fight between Shatner and General Garcia's brother, you know, make sure at some point we hit that table and break it because we paid a lot for this breakable furniture and we need to I kinda (laughs) have a theory. I kinda have a theory that did you think that the fight, that fight, which is kind of a long oh, it's, saloon yeah. fight between those two characters, and is definitely Shatner doing I, I, doing the I work? Know what you're going to say? You thinking was an afterthought? It was like a no. go back and refill? No, like no, we need no. something here? No, no, no. Yeah. I wonder if originally that fight was but wasn't supposed to be quite so elaborate. But maybe, maybe. Shatner, especially at that time, Shatner yeah. was a very athletic man yeah, who yeah. really enjoyed that that end of doing the physical stuff. And he Some does really good physical stuff in this movie. I mean, yeah. he's very good he, at that. He, yeah. yeah, he really does. And the look of this fight and the choreography of it reminded me a lot of the choreography of fights that you would get in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I kept expecting to hear this fight music yeah. in Star Trek. Dun, 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 dun. Come <laughs> exactly. on, there, and, and the moment it occurred to me mm-hmm. as being more than just a little Star Trek-ish in its mm-hmm. choreography, its fight choreography, was that moment where the, the guy standing over Shatner and Shatner has him by the foot trying to keep him from stomping his head in. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I've seen that on Trek a few times. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Not that I haven't seen it no, other you're places. Right. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's the moment where I was like, that's yeah. very mm-hmm. trickish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I still, I, I, I did, I did like the fight. I have to, yeah, I have to yeah. say it, it, it's, it's it's well placed. It's well done. We didn't get the Kirk chopped to the neck. I'm sad afraid we didn't get the, <laughs> well, the two handed Kirk yeah, chopped to the neck. Glad, was... glad that did not. We also did not get the uh, the 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 double kick when he jumps in the air and kicks with both legs. Uh, but I think both of those things probably would have been deemed a little too modern yeah, yeah. for a a Western at all. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that that was kind of cool. But once he is in Rio Hondo, we have all the pl- all the plot complications begin to take effect. We have mm-hmm. um, the we have Rosaniani's character who is uh, really the only survivor of that attack on the stagecoach. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, at first, thinking that Good Shatner is Bad Shatner mm-hmm. and uh, causing some problems there. How she missed him when she unloaded that gun mm-hmm. at him. <laughs> 
<laughs> no. I don't know about you, yeah, but, but my my history with women on mm. gun ranges yeah. is that women are better shots than me. Yeah. And a matter of fact, every woman I've ever gone to a gun range, yeah. which I mean, it's only three or four, I'll grant you, uh, beat me every time. Well, I was going to say, she, she definitely don't need to fall in love with El Hombre Lobo, too, because, you know, the <laughs> women that fall in love with El Hombre Lobo have to be damn good shots, and they usually are. They usually pop, <laughs> pop a cap in his ass without any trouble, and so she would, she'd be in bad shape. <laughs> well, this is hysterical. Last last month, I sat down and rewatched um, Halloween 2, uh-huh. uh, and I, I will always marvel at the amazing shot that Jamie Lee Curtis is at the end of that movie putting <laughs> yeah. two two shots yeah. uh, two shots in not just in Michael Myers face but through his fucking eyes through his eyes yeah that's <laughs> and it, it, there, there's always that part of me that wants that just that, that knows mm-hmm. that there's no way she's that good that's John Carpenter mm-hmm. and everyone involved going we need this motherfucker down yeah. permanently. <laughs> We're never making another one of these. <laughs> and he's like, you put two bullets through right. his eyes and burned him to a crisp. This shit is over. But, uh, but she does start to warm though, Johnny, after, after a while. Yeah. And there really is, um, as much as I want to joke and make fun of Shatner's line deliveries and his inflection and his, Ridiculous, overdramatic, faraway gaze as he mm. becomes dramatic and tells his tale. Yeah, he's sometimes effective. He is, and I'll yeah. admit that some of the some of the the half decent dialogue in this movie, and some of the dialogue is really clumsy and clunky. Mm. Uh, and some of the <laughs> a few of the lines, even in these scenes I'm about to talk about, are a little clunky. But the scenes between him and Rosanna Yanni actually are, are solid and they work. Yeah, yeah, like I, I agree, I do. I, I would also that. add that the other actor that he plays off very well against in the movie is Joseph Cotton. Yes, I like their scenes too. Yeah. But that's the that's the thing, is if you put Joseph Cotton in a movie, remember this is a man who started yeah. out in the Mercury Theater. This, oh, yeah. this man was in <clears throat> or you know, th- this man worked with Orson Welles, this man was in Citizen Kane, this mm-hmm. man was in the you know Magnificent Ambersons and he's a brilliant actor. Yeah. You could ha- you could have yourself a nice little month long film fest just going through the career of Joseph Cotton mm-hmm. and you will realize that by the time he was making movies like this, mm-hmm. you might call it slumming mm-hmm. But he made some damned interesting movies mm-hmm. in Europe in the yeah, late '60s, all the way through the '70s. Baba, yeah, so yeah. Well, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. I mean, oh. there's you know, some fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah, you have him playing Baron Blood, and you also yeah. have him in Magnificent <laughs> Amberson. Yeah, right. Down. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, but his character here is interesting enough that you could have, you know a movie about this. His character would have been compelling. You know, yeah. it's been, and and uh, I, I, there's good stuff they do with him there. I tell you right now, I think hands down. The sheriff character played by Cotton is the mm-hmm. best character in the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I say, the director kind of kind of undermines some of the cooler aspects of the character just in, in not, in my opinion, directing the film cleverly enough or smartly mm-hmm. enough to emphasize some of the things that are in the movie mm-hmm. that show this man's intelligence and experience and his mm-hmm. ability to control situations at times. Mm-hmm. But Cotton shines through, and it is a big plus, by the way, that um, both Shatner and Cotton are dubbing their own voices. Yeah, that's a big, uh, you're right. Very because we know what these guys sound like, yeah. and they sound correct. And that's always mm-hmm. a big plus. Mm-hmm. So once we're in real Hondo, mm-hmm. lots of different things occur. We have all the various subplots. We have the burgeoning gang war, or mm-hmm. I'm sorry, range war, start to go, start <laughs> yeah. to play off. Uh, you start to realize that it really ain't going to go in the fistful of dollars Joe Jimbo way, which is mm-hmm. a bit of a shame. But at mm-hmm. the same time, boy, would that have not complicated a bunch more stuff. Yeah. So maybe that's good. But as the plot goes along, 
and we start to see the broad outline of at least how some of these things are going to go, I start to, as a fan of Westerns, and as a, really as a fan of Euro-Westerns, I start to really find my joy in this film. And my irritations, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but the joys are very strong in watching the various actors, even the ones that I wasn't particularly familiar with, mm-hmm. uh, go through their paces and do interesting things. Yes, I agree. So Now we have to talk real quick. We have to say our hero, Victor Israel, shows up. He gets That's where I was of, going. He gets yeah. all of two scenes, but boy, does he invest every kind of quirk. And I clocked it. He did I clocked it. it. He's in the film for five and a half minutes. Yeah, that's and, and but within that, you can tell he tries to do as much to make that character... Quirky and interesting, and yeah. as he gets in his two scenes, which are basically well, three scenes. He arrives, he goes to his hotel room. He, we see that he's hunting. we see him in his hotel room. He's, yeah, and we know that he's he's got the uh, bounty out or the sheet, you know, the one ad for one for, for wanted, wanted wanted had wanted and, the wanted yeah, poster for, for bad uh, shot. Nota, and uh, and and then we see the scene where he gets killed, and so he's got three scenes, but he does really try and and, and his character still is memorable because he's just got some odd way of speaking and, and odd yeah. mannerisms. That's yeah. Well, now here's the thing, people. If you're unaware of who Victor Israel is, look him up mm-hmm. because uh, he was in hundreds of films. Mm-hmm. He was a bit player, a character actor, and he is always worth your attention mm-hmm. because once you know who Victor Israel is, mm-hmm. you will spot him oh, and yeah. know immediately mm-hmm. that even if the rest of the movie is dull, mm-hmm. Victor Israel is going to bring something interesting to the screen. Yeah, he will. And yeah, he does. He does. And mm-hmm. in this film, he does. He mm-hmm. plays a bounty hunter who shows up in mm-hmm. Rio Hondo. Mm-hmm. And try and and assumes that good Shatner is bad Shatner mm-hmm. and pays the ultimate price. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now there are some great charming moments. They 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 the director introduces the character very well. We see him get mm-hmm. there on the stagecoach, and we have a, a good introductory uh, introductory mm-hmm. scene where he he turns and is talking to the stagecoach driver. We get a good look at his face. And Victor Israel can be a weird looking mofo. He is. He's All got right? very strange eyes. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's got a weirdly shaped face, and he can do, yeah. he can do things with. Uh, uh, I don't know if he had like false teeth and can like remove yeah. a plate, yeah, and, and it makes his mouth look different. But yeah. he he's a. I swear to you, he's a bit of a chameleon, and he's mm. very fascinating to watch mm. because you don't know exactly what he's going to look like every time you see him. Yeah, and so um, the, it's it's amazing to watch when you go. Oh, okay. Well, good. Victor Israel is here. This movie's mm. about to go in. It, you know, mm. there's, there's going to be something interesting here. Of course, mm. it's only five minutes of yeah, Victor Israel, right, yeah. but it's still just kind of right. it's at about the forty-five minute mark, and it's like, okay, we're at the halfway mark. Victor Israel showed up. Hot damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we watch him, and uh, I gotta say, as cool as his death scene is, mm-hmm. I really like the scene, the, the little bit of that right beforehand, where he's sitting outside. It's it's night. He's sitting outside the saloon, yeah. and he's sitting in a chair, and he's sitting there petting a dog. Yeah. Joseph Cotton comes up, mm-hmm. and. What you what you figure later on is that Cotton once again this is the script showing you how smart mm-hmm. this this sheriff character is mm-hmm. he goes up pets the dog with yeah. Victor Israel yeah. speaks to him because we now know, we now know that the sheriff character introduces himself to any new face trying to ascertain whether or not this right. person's here for good or bad it good good or bad means he mm-hmm. wants you know he, he wants to put a you know, he wants to put that star in people's face and make sure that people know there's a lawman here. Don't mm-hmm. start any shit because mm-hmm. I you know, this is not some wide open town. Yeah. And uh, just that scene between Victor Israel and, and Joseph Cotton is only a few seconds long with the both of them petting the same dog. Mm-hmm. And it's still, for me, yeah. silly as it may sound, one of the highlights of the movie. Yeah, no, it's a great little little touch there. And then when, when, then when um, Johnny Moon comes up and, yeah. and it's actually the sheriff that shoots. 
Victor is. But he's off screen and it, it and leaves it open because you don't know what happened. Yeah, because you think, yeah. It, it, that, it, that, it, that's, that's well done because there are three distinct shots mm-hmm. and the sound effects don't match. And up till mm-hmm. then, the gun, gun effect, the gunshot mm-hmm. effects have, have mm-hmm. matched in the film. And so mm-hmm. it seems a little odd until Cotton steps back into the scene and, and you realize he had not gone too far away because he, he picked knew up something on who was this up. guy was. Yeah, yeah he guy, or at least he yeah, felt yeah. like he He felt like I need to keep an eye on this guy. Something's wrong. Yeah. So it's yeah, that's that's a interesting that's that's well done that little bit. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like if the rest of the movie <laughs> yeah. and I don't want to hang it all on the fact that the character actor was Victor Israel, but if the rest of the movie was done as well, was handled as well as that sequence, that five and a half to mm-hmm. six minute sequence of Victor Israel entering the, entering the film and then exiting it mm-hmm. rather ingloriously. Yeah. Um, we would have had a classic here. We would have had a film that would at least stand out as something to point to and say, well, this is a lesser, not well-known, little yeah. uh, European-produced Western and is, and is worth your time. Uh, that is not to get too far ahead of myself, but that is not where I end up on this film. I end up in a weirder place as far as trying to recommend this movie to people is going to be. But there are other sections of the movie that work as well as this sequence, mm-hmm. but they're really spread out and they're interspersed. They're spread out across the kind of the running time of the movie. Yeah. And um, like I say, the, the, the thing that works against this movie a lot is not necessarily the often clunky dialogue mm-hmm. or the over obvious plotting or the ladling on of too many Western tropes and ideas that, didn't necessarily need to all be in the same story together. It is the fact that the director, either for time time considerations yeah. or budgetary considerations, whatever it may have been, didn't put the emphasis on the correct things within scenes sometimes. Yeah. Um, I, I think I wonder, having watched the movie a couple of times now, there are a number of really well done shots where there's, the, the setups of the shots are fascinating like there's these overhead shots and mm-hmm. there's a lot of mm-hmm. moving camera shots within sets and scenes and it's fascinating to see those because you don't have to do that but to do it actually adds some liveliness to the imagery and it gives you a, a sense of uh, excitement or at least interest as you see as the camera moves mm-hmm. you get a little bit a little bit more um, drawn into what you're being shown but I wonder if the fact that he was a documentary filmmaker, mm-hmm. he was better at controlling and thinking about a film in those terms rather yeah. than that's a good uh, point, yeah. putting a narrative together. I think that's possible, yeah. And so I think that although the narrative is there and it's very clear, I also think that a lot of possible nuance and things that would have mm-hmm. made the film up, go up a notch or two yeah. are kind of left there on the page and mm-hmm. aren't in sharp relief the way they should be. Yeah. A lot of the tales that. that could have turned this into a really good movie mm-hmm. are just kind of just kind of flat. Mm-hmm. Sit down. Now we'll try for some answers. What's your name? Moon. Johnny Moon. What brings you to Rio Hondo? It's personal. Grimes brought him here. He paid him. I never saw him in my life before today. He said he killed two of my men. That's all? Uh-huh. That's right, Sheriff. They do first. If it wasn't for him, I'd be coyote bait right now. The general's brother and three men jumped me. Was fixing to, to string me up. 
My men got him moving land markers. Just the other way around, Sheriff. That's enough. I've had a bellyful of you, Grimes. You too, General. Two richest men this side of El Paso, and all you can think of is getting richer. I wouldn't be surprised if you're both guilty of trying to steal each other's land by moving government markers. Is that an accusation? I've seen range wars building before, and what's going on between you two bears all the earmarks of it. I'll be damned if I let that happen. Grimes, you hire this man. I may have tried to. That right. He gave me a hundred dollars, offered me a job. I told him he'd get his answer in four days. That's true, Sheriff. Let's talk about the odd violence in the movie for a moment. Mm -hmm. um, there are two things I want to make note of, which is that this is a movie filled with forehead shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of people get shot, shot in right the, in the forehead, head, yeah. specifically in the forehead. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's it's uh, not something I was expecting. No. Uh, I was expecting a lot more of the, uh, you know, shot in the gut. You stagger the gut, across stagger, the stagger fall. fall. Yeah. yeah, but that no, no, no. We got people, mm -hmm. you know, getting drilled through the forehead. Yeah. It's not graphic. It basically amounts no. to just like a red splash across the forehead. But it's the concept, the idea that you're getting a lot of, of people shot right, you know, right between the eyes is, uh, there was, yeah, there, there was, is a little jolting at times, a little unsurprised. There, there was a question whether or not people in the Old West had bullet magnets in their heads. I didn't <laughs> yeah. know. So it was a little odd. And the, the violence uh, when um, White Fawn follows uh, mm. one particular Indian who has decided he's had enough of mm. Nota's bullshit mm. and has decided to go off and warn the town of Rio mm -hmm. Hondo that mm -hmm. uh, bad shit is coming down. Mm -hmm. uh, she follows him, and they have uh, uh, a confrontation that ends in a uh, an Indian knife fight. Mm. And I will admit that the violence there, while not at all or in any way being graphic, right. uh, it is a knife fight, and I was kind of, I was kind mm. of impressed that they went there well, any time that a pregnant woman is getting stabbed, it's always going to be uncomfortable. It's always going to yeah. be a bit jolt. You know, it's going to be a little. You know, it's not something anybody's going. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I want to see more of that. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it was uh, it was rather interesting, and it was also yeah. uh, a pretty damned good scene between the two actors. I think that it, uh, yeah. that that, that uh, our little white fawn shows mm -hmm. her acting chops in that sequence very well. well. Yeah, and that uh, that's something I wanted to make sure I said before. Uh, we finished up is we've talked about how there's only two basically two female characters in this film I was impressed that both of them are pretty tough women and now both yes. of them are pretty well written tough women like look at Kelly which is Rosanna Yanni okay you know she gets raped you know she shows back up to town basically naked just with something draped over you know and Joseph Cotton you know he's obviously known her for years she's obviously been in the town for years and he's, he's trying to help her and she's and she, one of the first things she said was she says, tell Grimes I'll be at work tonight, you know. Yeah. She actually is just, you know, this traumatic thing or potential traumatic thing has just happened to her, but she's she's there that night, you know, just doing her job, you know. And then also then the next time, you know, later Johnny finds her, even after this has happened to her, he finds her out nude bathing, you know, out by herself. And, and he, he makes a comment that, you know, you shouldn't be out here alone. And she says, wherever I go, I'm alone. And I think that we've got a character here who is who believes that nobody can really, like, that really does believe that, that nobody's there to help her, that she's yeah. she literally is on her own wherever she goes, you know, which I think kind of makes her then connection to Johnny, who basically feels the same way, more of a, you know, I think it adds well, a lot yeah. of interesting layer to, to their characters. They're both kind of isolated, distant character, you know, yeah. like, it's, you know, withdrawn characters. But the or, fact yeah. that, but the fact that this thing that is so often portrayed as something that is going to like totally destroy a woman or destroy her character, you know, or something like that, is is she in a sense just you know she's this is life and this is this is life out here in the 
in the, the, in the, in the cruel, West. In the you know? West, yeah. I, so I like that about her character. I think uh, White Fawn's character. Uh, I love this scene where she's. I love she doesn't let the little thing like carrying around a baby keep her from being a friggin' kick ass Indian warrior man. She goes after. Oh yeah. She, she goes, goes after, after the guy him. that she sees, yeah. and you can see his. I mean, you totally see his point. He's just like, okay, this Notaz guy's going to get us killed. You know, it's like if yeah. he's going to have this whole town down upon us and get us wiped out if I don't go and and warn them. So you see his motivation, but the fact that she's totally loyal to and goes after him uh, with, and they have their knife fight. But I just thought that was really uh, great. It just showed an incredible toughness in her character, you know, that, that she's just like, a, she's an Indian warrior no matter, she can be carrying triplets, it don't matter, you know. Perla she's, Crystal knows uh, how to portray a pissed off pregnant woman yes, with knife. She does. <laughs> she does a fine job. Uh, one thing I would like to point out that's something I had not noticed before and actually had somebody else point this out to me was that this is not the kind of thing I notice, so it, mm-hmm. would, ha- it would take someone else mm-hmm. to notice it for me, is that mm-hmm. Rosanna Yanni especially in this film, but as I look back in a lot of other films, looks a lot like Cindy Crawford. She wow. has the same face I had not, I as had Cindy not thought Crawford. About that. Wow. I had I had not, not that's not that. the kind of thing that occurs yeah, to yeah. me at all. Huh. But she looks, as soon as it was said, I did a quick image search mm-hmm. and kind of put the two faces next to each other and went, oh my God, she has mm-hmm. the same exact bone structure. Of course, Rosanna Yanni, of course, we're only seeing her in films, mm-hmm. but Rosanna mm-hmm. Yanni always looks like she has you know, the softest, most beautiful, blemish-free skin that anyone ever had. Right, yeah. And uh, she's, of course, just a beautiful woman, but she looks strikingly like Cindy Crawford to me. I'll have to watch that for that next time. I I did not notice that. This is not the kind of thing... I I, I don't do that. I can remember being being in high school. um, This woman that I was dating at the time, it seemed almost as if she and her mother went out of their way to draw parallels between celebrities mm. and people that we actually knew. So, doesn't he look like that guy? <laughs> and I always found it really odd and bizarre. It's like, no, he looks like who he is. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Maybe they have mm. the same mm. hair. I don't know. <laughs> so it, it, it mm. sometimes it's good to have someone else sitting on your shoulder in a way mm. and going, she looks a lot like Cindy Crawford. <laughs> because as soon as you say that, you see it and it's, Kind of, it's kind of something you can't fig- you cannot figure out how you miss it to begin with, right? Oh God, I can't. Even, I don't even want to begin to go the litany of the people I've been told I look like. You know, most very few of them are complimentary. Most of them are the ones you're most like. Of them most are, of them are like, gee, thanks. Most of them are wow. Satan himself. Yeah. <laughs> I would never. I would never say that, Troy. <laughs> Except as, as a jest. <laughs> something that I want to point out before we get to uh, before we conclude this conversation about White Comanche is that. There is a little part of me that feels that this movie is, in some strange way, really just two specific Star Trek episodes rammed together. Okay. <laughs> like Spectre of the Gun? Was that? <laughs> no, no, no. Not Spectre of the Gun. No, no. We're talking episode five. I told you I was a geek. Mm-hmm. From the very first season, one of the best episodes they ever did, the little transporter accident episode called The Enemy Within. Yes, yes. Where Kirk is split into two halves, one of which manifests all the nastier aspects of his personality, Mm -hmm. and one of which is manifesting all of the good aspects of his personality. And now I know which the other one you're going to mention then. Now That would be the Paradise Syndrome. Yes, yes, that was okay. So I was getting now, now again, I'm... You go one step further, than me, because I cannot put numbers to episodes. I know the name. You say the name of an. You say the name of an episode, and I will know the episode, but I cannot tell you what number it is. But so. this does play like a bizarre, <laughs> fractured fairy tales version of taking those two mm-hmm. episodes and ramming them together and extracting all the other mm-hmm. Star Trek actors. Mm-hmm. It is 
strange. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are those shots where Nota is, mm-hmm. you know, you know, talking to his tribe, and he's up on that rock <laughs> with his arms up, you know, straight up in the <laughs> air. You're right. Yeah. And it, all I could think of is I just wanted him to yell Kira. <laughs> <laughs> it would have perfect. I would have been fine. Now, see, I thought you were going to say that you uh, you you pegged uh, Johnny Moon and Kelly, you know, him and, and William Shatner, Rosanna Yanni, as the episode where Shatner's high, split uh, possesses. Uh, the female, you know, the 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 where the woman possesses or whatever it is, you know, where he's oh turnabout intruder, turnabout intruder. That's thank you. I, that, was, that was what I, I almost said that title. I was like, the, maybe that's not the right the one. The very right. last produced Star Trek episode it was, from the original series. Yes, it was the last one because I told you I'm a fucking geek. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> turnabout intruder. I think we got a little bit of that. Uh, oh, I can see that. That's kind of weird. Just to piss you off, I was trying to find some way to make uh, the Lazarus, uh, the, la- the, uh, the 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 going to make the, the the Lazarus story. I was going to oh, try and the figure alternative factor? alternative factor. I was There's no way to link alternative factor. This because I know you don't even try because that is the shittiest episode of Star Trek that was ever committed to film. But uh, what of Nota? What of Nota? What of Nota? <laughs> that would be oh my god. There's so many jokes that could be made in that respect. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to travel down that. That is not a path. That is a cave. But but there are times when you you know I agree with you. You just can't help it. Times to think like you know that that Shatner's just stepped through the mirror and ended up on a on a then you know, <laughs> on, a, on the Earth back in you know, <laughs> if, if 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 only Nota had a goatee we'd know we were in the mirror mirror universe right that's right <laughs> oh will I never stop referencing that fucking TV show okay well at least I feel I'm justified mm. so. We do eventually get to the yes, confrontation. The four days do end. Yes. The four days do end. We have Shatner versus Shatner violence. The <sighs> worst kind of violence. No, when it's you... Shatner on Shatner. And so um, they they film it so that both of them look identical. You can't tell who's mm. who's killed until you know yeah. the, the only clue is one's on a brown horse and one's on a black horse. Right. But half the times you can't even see that, you know. Well, yeah, especially when you know the the dead yeah. body gets dropped gets dropped in front of the Indians. Yeah. And, I and feel like there was. Something missing that could have. I feel like this whole fight we've waited for to the. I don't mind the concept of it that they both. Well, I think it's a weird concept. It let's is just, like they're going to get on there. They're going to get on. It. Okay, okay. It's well, for, what's the weirdest thing to me is why, why does Johnny Moon decide to dress just like No Tie? You know, do you do you? <laughs> There's no is reason. it because he's already trying to? I mean, I can't. okay. Look, let, let, let's let's address this. One of the things that we haven't even brought up is the fact that they're quote unquote half breeds. Yes. Okay? Yes. Now, that's you know the, the here's the thing. It was a it was a movie western trope mm. to. Uh, have a quote-unquote half-breed character so you could cast a white guy and try to get away with it. Yeah, okay? right, yeah. So yeah. he's not Yo, an Indian, sure, right. he's yeah. a half-breed. Yeah. That's a cheapskate yeah. way to mm-hmm. cast your white guy mm-hmm. and not have it seem too stupid mm-hmm. that this incredibly white guy, <laughs> Rock Hudson, yeah. uh, was trying to be an Indian. Right. Okay, so you pretended he was a half-breed. So if you wanted to read that ending where they're both dressed exactly the same and, he go, you know, and, and the good Shatner goes out of his way to look just like the bad Shatner, you could say... And a better director might have drawn this out. Mm. He's trying to be as, in other words, he's trying to return to when they were when they close. were brothers, when, when they, they were, were close. close. Well, and do you think they also are setting it up a little bit with a couple of times before we get to this scene where he starts to refer to No Ties himself, and now where he says he says some yeah, weird lines yeah. like something about I'm, me, I'm, my, me I'm, and I'm, myself, I'm, me and myself. Don't try and come fight with or you know interfere with me and my me and myself. Yeah. I wonder if they're trying to set that idea up from him saying that a couple of times instead of calling well, it no that time. And that and that weird moment when he when he freaks out and he sees oh, in the mirror his, when he sees, he sees his, his brother in the mirror, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's um, no, you're right. I hadn't thought about that, but maybe he is trying to like, yeah, just that's just, the only thing that works. But the film doesn't. <clears throat> once again, it's another yeah. instance where the filmmakers. <clears throat> 
do not right. go out of their way to draw the correct right. amount of attention to what mm-hmm. he's doing. It just they just present it flatly, mm-hmm. and it just leaves you going, "Well, that's weird." And yeah. so, of course, the media immediately I go, "Well, that certainly makes it easy and cheap to yeah. <laughs> to shoot the sequence. You just reset, put him on a different horse, and shoot yeah. the shoot the opposite a- angle." And and then we come to what is apparently a time honored, uh, centuries old Comanche way of fighting, which is that you get on horses with pistols and uh, <laughs> and charge at each other and fire at each other at point blank range. Uh, I didn't know that that was. A Comanche, uh, yeah, apparently, I, I, apparently, the pistol joust is <laughs> the pistol joust yeah. is something that that is ancient in, yeah. in Comanche yeah. in yeah. Comanche society, and it's yeah. just something we never knew about. It's a, it's a tribal custom <laughs> yeah. from way back, and, and 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 it's lucky that apparently Comanches are horrible shots because uh, they <laughs> yeah, they no go sure. past each other about six times and can't and can't Where, fire at each other at point really? blank. Where's I? Jamie Lee Curtis? <laughs> <laughs> she she, yeah, she right. put one bullet through each of their left eyes and called it a day. You two fight it out now. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> So yeah, yeah. So that 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 is interesting. The, the I'm not going to run whether the good guy or the bad guy wins. It's obvious. Yeah, if you haven't figured it out. <laughs> but let's talk about our overview, our mm-hmm. thoughts mm-hmm. on the film mm-hmm. as a whole. How mm-hmm. we uh, whether we think the film succeeds or fails, and mm-hmm. uh, what you would end up rating it. So White Comanche, 1968. Yes. Twin William Shatner's and Joseph mm-hmm. Cotton and Rosanna Yanni and Victor Israel mm-hmm. and all these other great character mm-hmm. actors. Yeah, a couple more from the Nashiverse. We had. Oh, uh, we should mention Mariana Molina, who plays General Garcia. Uh, he was in Curse of the Devil, yep. uh, Exorcismo, The Cantabrians, Howl of the Devil. Correct. Uh, and then Bartaberry, who plays the mayor. Who's he great. Was, uh, yes, he was in Werewolf Shadow, Dr. Jekyll and El Hombre Lobo, Horror Express, and Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. And uh, there's a couple of people in this film that are also in the, uh, well, like the guy that plays Grimes is apparently in the Nashy film that we cannot get our mitts on, which is the one that's inspired by the uh, Patty Hearst story. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's one we haven't been able to uh, to, to find yet. Uh, and I would really love to see that because Nashy did actually uh, write the script for that as well. But yeah, so there's a couple of a couple other actors from the Nashy verse that do good work in this film. A lot of these actors just had such great careers, but mm-hmm. a lot of it is hidden from us. Not mm-hmm. not all of these movies, not all the movies that they made, mm-hmm. are movies that have an English option for us yeah. for us yeah. monolinguist yeah. suckers to be able to finally uh, check out these works. And it's it's kind of frustrating. It is things like this that were, of course, you know, meant for a worldwide audience where we have an easy mm-hmm. English option that makes it really easy to see a lot of these actors going through their paces and doing different things, and that's great. But it never ceases to frustrate me to start going through someone like that lengthy mm-hmm. Victor Israel uh, list of credits and yeah. realize that mm-hmm. I'll bet you at least half of these movies I ha- I mean there's no English option on them. I know there's just really yeah. not. I mean yeah. I mean you'll see uh, uh, Louis Pindra mm-hmm. uh, Prin- Louis P- Prindra. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I'm sorry. Prindes? Louis, oh, probably Prind- Louis Prind- Prindes, Prindes, I think. Louis Prindes, I think. Okay. Who uh, uh, was in, for, of all things, he played a character in King of Kings, the huge American production from 1961. Wasn't Nash even in that? Wasn't that one of the first things that Suppos- Nash had? Supposedly. Like, supposedly. Now, whether like, you actually see him, I don't know. Yeah, I think he was film, like an extra. Think, yeah, just, just, just an extra. uncredited extra. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you're just like, wait a minute, he has a character, he plays a character called Good Thief. <laughs> Which means he may have been like one of the people strung upon a crucifix. I, that's actually very likely. So yeah. So it's one of those things where you're like you look, you look at these people's careers and yeah. you're like, well, I know I could see him in King of Kings. That one's easy enough to see. But these seventy other credits, <laughs> I, I have know. no clue. You know. I know. So once okay. again, well, back to yes, to what do you feel? What what, um, what what? Yeah, I was kind of hovering between a five and a six. I'll probably fall about a five. 
there's things I definitely like about it. Um, I did not, it was not excruciating to have to watch it twice. You know, I, like I said, second time through, I discovered things that I appreciated that I didn't pick up on the first time. Um, I do think for a film as cluttered with characters that are all basically archetypes that it does try and give all the characters something not interesting to do, you know, something interesting when the few minutes that they all get, um, something else I liked about it too, that kind of impressed me was the fact that it, this, it seems to be a film that just wants to tell a story without any particular agenda. And that had to be tricky to pull off, especially in the late sixties in that, you know, the Indians are portrayed as both good and bad. Yeah. The white people are portrayed as both good and bad. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any kind of uh, extra... Uh, not that I have a problem with films that have something more to say uh, by any means. You know, it's nice to see films that have a little bigger picture they're trying to convey. But but you don't want to see something become heavy-handed or become something that's that's too that leans too far in the direction of, you know, trying to, to convey more a social conscious than necessarily just tell a tight story or tell a good story. And I think in this case, the film really is concerned with telling the story, you know, and, and, and not, not trying to have a, 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 not trying to cast a wider, you know, scope on, you know, on, 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 you know, relations between Indians and white men and white men and right. each other, you know, and just, uh, you know, the time life at that time, it's just more like, here's our story and we're going to tell it. And then, you know, and I, and I like that about it, but, um, but yeah, but there's, there's definitely things that there's just a lot of things that could have been, like we've talked about, could have been conveyed better and could have been brought off a little better that I feel like, like I said, I think I finally, Finally had to lean on about a five because I don't think okay. it's a film that I'll return to again. You know, I don't. Uh, it's not one. If somebody was interested in seeing it, I wouldn't say, "Oh, stay away." And I definitely don't agree with it being enjoyably bad as that as we first. Yeah, that, was. that's just it. If it, I'm I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself. I do okay. have before I give my uh, mm-hmm. my rating and my um, mm-hmm. kind of full full opinion of the movie. Um, I was very impressed with Shatner's hair in this film. Mm, yeah, it's actually. It's, now, it's, yeah. um, I know that uh, it w- it is at least a partial hairpiece because we all know he started to lose his hair at twelve or something. I mean, yeah. he was wearing hair. I think I, I think by the time he did his appeared on camera the first time, yeah, he well, that, had a that's just it. Once, extensions of some kind. Well, yeah, well, once uh, years ago, I learned that uh, even on the original Star Trek, he mm-hmm. had yeah. he was wearing some form of hairpiece. I was mm-hmm. utterly shocked because yeah, I just and assumed it did that he started to lose that, it. Yeah. I, I started. I, I assume he started to lose it later on. Yeah. But it's a very natural looking. Mm-hmm. If it is, I don't know how much of it is or isn't a hairpiece because it's it looks good. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's an impressive thing. It's one of those I would rate the the Shatner toupee in this film very high, mm-hmm. just from the uh, the look we get at it in this film. So on the, the Shatner toupee scale, mm-hmm. I'm giving this an eight. Mm-hmm. It's an impressive one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also uh, a good one that, unlike say some of the really curly ones he wore in the early Star Trek yeah. feature films, oh yeah, wow, the little uh, it does it doesn't the mini feel, permanence, yeah, 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 it doesn't feel as if uh, before he put it on his head, it accidentally got a jolt of electricity. It looks natural. <laughs> it looks as if uh, his hair, someone would be proud to wear. Mm-hmm. Even 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 Nashy might be proud of a uh, yeah wear yeah. Such this a, is which a two, this, this, this this good hair. It's good yeah. hair. Now you know the Indians' hair, not so much. You know, and it's, it's by it's, the way, it's, there is one shot where. <laughs> One of the action sequences, you can see the the Indian an Indian loses wig. Oh no, really? I yeah, missed that. Yeah, I missed yeah. that. Well, it's you know I'm not saying that it's an easy thing to pull off, but I do wish that the Indians' hairs had had not been so distractingly bad. You know, and then uh, so obviously wigs. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's it's. You know, I've always it's had like, this it's like was this an episode of F Troop or you know we're watching here? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, I've had this theory for years when you see you know. Uh, even actual Indians playing mm. Native Americans. You see yeah. actual Native Americans yeah. playing these yeah. characters in films mm. from that period, and you realize 
10 to 1, their hair is definitely not that long, so they're mm-hmm. wearing a wig. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that the reason they make sure these guys are wearing headbands is it's just another way oh, to make sure that just, hair stays in oh, place. Oh, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. So my opinion of the film is I ended up giving it a 5-2 okay. because I don't think it's good necessarily. Mm-hmm. I also mm-hmm. don't think it's bad. Mm-hmm. It, it just stubbornly falls in that mid-range mm-hmm. of I didn't dislike the film. No. There are things I disliked. I didn't like the film all that much, although there were things in it that I liked quite a bit. Mm. It just falls in that mid-range of Mm. so-so, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Would I recommend the film? Depends. Uh, Shatner fanatic or Shatner fan or just Shatner curious? Yes, because you will see what you're expecting, regardless of your level of Mm -hmm. thought on Shatner, whether you think he's good but sometimes slums it or sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, just goes through the motions to get the paycheck. Or if you think he's terrible and want to see him do that thing that we all know he do so well, yeah. uh, this would be a place to go because <laughs> yeah. you're going to see some yeah. of that bizarrely stilted, strangely cadenced mm-hmm. dialogue that he is famous. His line readings are legendary, much like Christopher Walken. I mean, there's it's there's something mm-hmm. about it that you're just never going to get from a different actor unless they're imitating them. Yeah, right. So a five... I think it could. I think it could have easily, in the hands of a different director, mm-hmm. or more time mm-hmm. given to the production, could have been a better film. But as it stands, an interesting curiosity. Joseph Cotton is great. Uh, it's fun to see these actors, but all everybody involved in this have made better movies. Oh, I know. There's one more thing I wanted to ask you about it because I wanted to get your opinion. What did you What did you make of the uh, What did you make of the odd bit where uh, Shatner uh, talks about his handshaking and it being like that? It's never done that. Before that, see, that's another one of those things that's, that's there like, in the script. I know it's like it's like that's a tasty little character bit because I'm that thinking only is it, gets is it, brought up yeah, once. I know because I'm thinking he doesn't strike you as the character who who is 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 is. Uh, I mean, you know, the fact that you don't you don't it doesn't really seem like it would be because he's his showdown with his brother is impending. You know, because yeah. that that he almost seems like he's probably looking forward to to resolving or to getting this finished one way or the other, even if it kills him. I was wondering if I it's because of him suddenly meeting Rosanna Yanni and like being. See, that's just it. I read it at the time, and I'd have to go back into the scene and focus on it mm-hmm. specifically with this in mind. But what it always struck me as the, the two times I watched the movie was that I think this happens right after he's freaked out and busted the mirror. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. that is the reason for the handshake. I think that finally setting this rather arbitrary four-day mm-hmm. deadline mm-hmm. is causing him to freak out a little. Mm-hmm. And so I think those those mm-hmm. those two okay. events yeah, are close enough yeah. in contact, but mm-hmm. he is also he's also had that confrontation where Rosaniani tried to gun him down because she thought he was her yeah. brother. Yeah. I mean thought he thought he was bad yeah. Shatner. Yeah. So the film like I say, yeah. in the hands of a better filmmaker, yeah, just felt like that we could have teased yeah. out mm-hmm. some more of what is going on there, mm-hmm. and it would have been more than just a single line in the scene. This little bit of thing where he's looking at his hand and realizing, mm-hmm. because the thing, one of the things that the movie brings up and, and, and kind of plays with is that he is he's a fast draw. He's yeah, he's right. quick, right? And he's also a pretty good shot. And I love mm-hmm. the fact that the film points out that he's not perfect at all, right? But that uh, given the opportunity, he's good. Mm-hmm. I would see him seeing this little tremor in his hand as a concern that, shit, it's going to be me who dies. 
So you did you see know, it as maybe a day's action maybe, acknowledge that maybe. he may be heading. Well, once towards, again, yeah. this is also. I mean, it's it's the mirror scene. Mm-hmm. It's uh, also the uh, you know he's just mm-hmm. <laughs> nearly got gunned down by a woman for something he didn't mm-hmm. do. And yeah, because so, there's the nice bit with. Joseph Cotton that I think is handled a little better and I think is really effective before he's about to go out on with Joseph Cotton the sheriff before he's about to go out on the street yeah. and have to confront Garcia's men who are coming into town and the way he plays that scene you very obviously realize that he knows he's probably about to die you know that, that the sheriff yes. you know realizes and and uh I almost wondered if they were trying to do a little bit of the kind of more revisionist the more thing that the, some of the modern westerns had started to do with the idea that you know, the hero isn't just so totally unshakable, like the high noon kind of thing, you know, where the yeah. character really the character really doesn't want to have to be, you know, in this. He doesn't want to be doing He's this. like, I'd much rather be fishing somewhere. I really don't want to die, you know, when I'm going to do this, you know, because, and then that kind of thing. And maybe they were trying to put that, a little bit of that in Shatner's character, too, which, like you're pointing out, maybe, maybe the, maybe the, maybe the fact that he was actually coming up on what may be his death. But I think it was just not. I mean, it was something that didn't really seem to go anywhere either. You know that I wish well, they did kind of do do a little more. If with, you want to, uh, if you want to get down to uh, some things that just occurred to me as I was watching the film, only on the second time, was that uh, to my mind, you'd have been better off eliminating some of the extraneous little pieces that are in the film that don't really mm. that that really only kind of artificially complicate things. Mm. And add one thing to add a level of, of interesting kind of emotional depth, and that would be I would have had the sheriff character have a wife. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess, yeah. And that it would only it, it would, would only be yeah. one or two scenes, maybe yeah. three, yeah. brief, but mm-hmm. it would add to his character. Mm-hmm. Cotton is really good no matter yeah. what, yeah. and just his his acting ability mm-hmm. brings a, uh, brings the whole film up to a degree because mm-hmm. he's really really good. But it would have been interesting to have him have a certain um, amount of in other words to have someone else to worry about someone because you don't get the feeling that other than the uh the the kind of uninvolved characters mm-hmm. like Rosaniani's character yeah. who are simply you know who, who aren't involved yeah. in this ridiculous range right. war and don't yeah. have skin in the game and these various you know goings on mm-hmm. uh, he he seems to care about them we get that primarily through the way he talks and acts to Rosaniani's character but it would have been interesting to have him to keep all of that the way it is and to also have a wife mm-hmm. um but Mm-hmm. You know, these are all choices. It, we, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Everybody wants to rewrite something that isn't perfect anyway. But as this stands, this isn't a terrible film. It, it isn't. Oh no, it's no, only, no, no, it's no, only, no, it's only, it's, 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 it's only okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, if you've listened to this discussion, you've never seen the film. You probably know whether you want to see this or not. Yeah, uh, so. yeah. And, and we're not going to. I'm not going to discourage someone from wanting to see it at all. You know, oh, no, it's not I, a waste of time. But anyway. I would. I wouldn't dissuade anybody from seeing this if they're curious, because uh, there's enough there to yeah. keep you keep you entertained for the 90 minutes that it runs. So, yeah. White Comanche, not great, mm-hmm. not bad, right. but. Yeah. Uh, something of interest for certain tastes. Definitely. There we go. So I tell you what, we're going to take a break now. When we come back, Got the mailbag. yeah, mailbag time, baby. Back momentarily. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but there are so many. I wish there's a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. 
Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. Oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. That sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Well, why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show. Oh, will do. Let's see, that's at orphanentertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm. We'll see, Christopher. We'll see. Still need a theme song for that, and neither of us have worked on it at all. <laughs> and I'm not going to point any fingers, but one of us is a musician, so. Uh, you're right. I'll have to come with a male theme. I have to come up with a little male theme. Can we just lift the, what did they use? Did they used to play something when the speedy delivery man came up in, 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 uh, in uh, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, whenever the guy would come up on the bike and drop stuff on speedy delivery? Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if he had a theme song or not. But. Maybe there's something we can lift from either that or, I don't know, Pee-wee's t- Pee-wee Herman's TV show? I don't know. Something. We'll figure something out. It's but the, both, both of them. That's why right, I would the, the the male lady when she showed up there. There we go. There we that. go. <laughs> okay, first uh, first piece here is uh, from uh, K R Joy, mm-hmm. uh, Joy with an E at the end, which means someone needed some extra vowels. <laughs> oh, killer joy goodness. is how you would say that. Killer joy. Oh. Killer joy. Yes, Ooh, killer. Yeah, you're killer right. Joy, I like, I like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he says uh, Rod and Troy. Uh, he got the names right. Mm-hmm. Got wind of the new Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray release of Count Dracula's Great Love from your previous podcast, so I immediately ordered a copy to review before your new episode. I think the majority of Nashi fans will agree that up till now, no one's really seen decent copies of this Nashi gem. After viewing it in complete jaw-dropping awe of the phenomenal job that Vinegar Syndrome did on the complete Blu-ray refresh... I came to the conclusion I didn't have a fraction of appreciation for Count Dracula's Great Love before, as I now do. This movie has it all. Vivid, trickling blood, beautiful actresses, Nashy Musk-filled love scenes, (laughs) even a little bit of torture. The wonderful gothic interior sets and atmospheric outdoor scenes just add to the experience. I can't say enough about Vinegar's two-disc production with all the DVD extras and bonus reversible artwork. Trust me, the cost for this Blu-ray is money well spent. This is a must-have for Nashi, for a Nashi collector, easily moving way up into the top five of my Nashi horror collection. As mentioned in my past posts, I'm a huge Hammer fan, and this revitalization of Count Dracula's Great Love, in my opinion, puts this Nashi film into coveted Karnstein trilogy territory for all the crucial vampire story elements that I love. Oh, okay, well. Wow, just thinking of what Vinegar Syndrome could do with some of Nashi's other works, please, 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 mm-hmm. has me excited and hopeful for the future. Oh, as far as you two reviewing past Nashi cast uh, entries, now, past Nashi cast entries with fresh added comments, go for it. Great job, guys. Always listening. K.R. Joy. Uh, 
I agree. Yeah. This, well, the, I think the, we. The, I think we. It goes without saying that I believe when those, uh, those Mondo Macabre Blu-rays come out, that we will be uh, have to do a revisiting show for those. Uh, and I didn't. I, I don't know that we've ever gotten really heavily into to, to talking about how fascinating it is to uh, to watch, especially a lot of the the, the later Hammer vampire films mm-hmm. where they got pretty damn creative with vampire lore where they started bringing oh, God, like other vamp- ideas. Oh, like Vampire Circus, which is still one of my favorite yeah. vampire films. Or ever. Captain Chronos. Yeah, Captain Chronos, you're right. Where they started playing around with all these mm. different kinds of mm. uh, vampiric legends and, and um, mm. playing around with some of the, the stranger uh, folk tales that involve mm. these these kinds of creatures. And uh, I, I, I do love that. And yeah, I hadn't really thought about the fact that for all the batshit crazy weird stuff mm. that that is in Count Dracula's Great Love, it is very much in that uh, vein of adding odder elements mm-hmm. to the vampire legends and, and kind of taking bits and pieces and mm. <laughs> cooking them up in a different way. It's, it's a, it, it, I never really kind of put it in that. I don't know why yeah, well, it's a really, natural thing, yeah. but I just never really lined those yeah. things up in my head that way. So. I really think that, uh, I really think that vampire circus is the most Euro horror feeling hammer film of the whole of everything oh, they yeah, did I, you know i think i, I think love that, it yeah i love it but him him uh, him drawing a parallel between that and the the three the the, the karnstein trilogy yeah. from hammer that is a really <clears throat> how to put this the karnstein trilogy from hammer is a really bizarre trilogy in yeah. that there's yeah. one of them that's just a freaking mess. I get <laughs> yeah. a, I get a joy. I get lust some joy. for vampire. Same as what you're talking about. Yeah, of, of course it's lust for yeah, vampire. Yeah. It's yeah. a freaking mess from the pit. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, any movie that I can pause at at several moments and see the freaking production people in the background <laughs> because just not enough care was yeah. taken. No, I think I know what scenes you pause it on, buddy. <laughs> oh. Oh, do you? Too, you too. <laughs> <laughs> but the Karnstein trilogy is is it's fascinating because uh, I then know, you got Twins of Evil that's really good. You know, I love really Twins good. of Evil. Yeah, and uh, and I can see I, I have seen people you know talk about uh, Vampire Lovers as kind of a a, a little too dull or a little mm-hmm. too, uh, too a little too staid in uh, mm-hmm. its its storytelling and its energy level. And I can understand that to a degree, but I mean, I really do like all three films yeah, yeah. while acknowledging that one of them is total crap. Yeah. Well, not total crap. No, it's not total it's, crap. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's in the lower mm-hmm. 5% of Hammer films, mm-hmm. I'll grant you, but that's still better than... Um, okay, I'm not going to finish that. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to finish that because... We'll say the worst Jess Franco vampire films, maybe? <laughs> Not that bad, not on that level. I don't know, man. It's just, there's a... I mean, it's not filmed with a video camera in one room (laughs) of just, you know, bodies, naked bodies writhing for 90 minutes or whatever. (laughs) Yes, yes. I still, I mean, I know that this makes me a bit of a a Eurohara, Jess Franco fan heretic, but I still, I I would rather watch Lust for a Vampire again than Female Vampire. Yes, this is is a truism. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. If you could give me a cut of female vampire that's roughly thirty minutes, maybe yeah, we sure. maybe we can talk. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, cool. once again, uh, Kr Joy. Yeah, thank you. We thank, thank you for you. yes. Write more. Appreciate it. Appreciate the correspondence. We got two correspondences here, both from Michael. Um, he wrote us uh, a nice letter and then uh, realized that uh, he had more to say and so wrote us a second letter. So <laughs> we're just going to go through. We encourage it. That's right. He says, hi, guys. Now, he loses points. He doesn't know our names. He just calls us guys. Damn it. But he says, hi, guys. I look forward to each new Nashi cast, and I occasionally go back and listen to some of the past episodes. 
You guys do a good job. My pre-Halloween viewing has consisted of a lot of Nashi flicks, especially the Daninsky films. I'm watching all the Daninsky appearances in order, even though they're pretty much standalone films. I'm also watching a few other classic Nashi films, especially Horror Rises from the Tomb, and I look forward to hearing your next episode where you discuss it once more. I recently listened to, listened to your original coverage of it in Nashi Cast number two, and it will be interesting to compare it to the new coverage of the film. He says, thank the fates that some new Natchy merch has reared its hard head. The Blu-ray for Crimson is a nice little package, even though the film itself is one of the weaker entries in Natchy's body of work. I enjoyed the commentary by Richard Harlan Smith, which gives an interesting overview of Eurocult. Uh, yeah, and rather, by the way, I need to do a quick correction on myself, or well, just clarification. When we did the Crimson episode, I think I made it sound like Richard Harlan Smith had not seen the film, and I did not mean to mislead because he does say in his audio oh, I commentary. Did, I, did, I did not get that impression. Okay, well, he did say in his audio commentary, and I thought this was actually pretty cool, is that he saw it uh, in its original VHS release. So, yeah, what I was trying to convey is that I don't think he had just a whole lot to say, nice to say about the film, tried to find the things that he could appreciate, and then mostly made this commentary full of just kind of more of a Euro horror or Euro film right. overview. But yes, he he had seen the film. So anyway, back to uh, yeah. I, I, okay. Well, I don't know why you fear that you gave okay. that impression, okay. but I did not get that. So. Okay. So back to Michael's letter. He says, "Euro horror is by far my favorite part of Euro cult, but I enjoy the whole gamut." Vinegar Syndrome did a great job with the Blu-ray DVD combo for Count Dracula's Great Love. The Nashi Aguirre uh, commentary is very cool, if a bit hard to follow at times with the subtitles. Says now, if only Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, or Grindhouse releasing could give us nice BDs of Night of the Howling Beast and the Beast of the and the Magic Sword with all the bells and whistles, we would we, would we would we would welcome that too. He says, Distinctive Dummies released a really nice one six scale Vardamar Daninsky werewolf from Werewolf vs. the Vampire Women, also known oh, as this Werewolf is the, Shadow. This is the figure, the, the, the figure. Mm-hmm. I was going to say action figure, but that's probably damning mm-hmm. it with it's, the, it's a collectible, damn you. <laughs> I, 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 my apologies, my apologies, my apologies. <laughs> he says, They only lasted around four days before selling out, which is the quickest sellout yet for, for Distinctive Dummies one six scale figures. They aren't numbered like the the uh, Mego style figures, but I'm told that Distinctive Dummies won't be redoing any new one six scale figures. So what is out there is pretty much it. Said I'm short on funds currently, but I scrounged up enough to score one, and they should ship around November fifth. This thing is beautiful, judging from the uh, from the pics. It's a big improvement over the first Nashi effort, even though that one wasn't bad. Okay, this caused me much pain and suffering uh, when I uh, <laughs> realized that. Uh, this is the Troy Renz's garment episode. You know, we <laughs> okay. get the Rod Rand, okay. so we are starting to get the regular Troy Renz's garment incident. And 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 when I realized that I had missed this figure, because when the pictures of it went around, and you know, I was you know, right. as I'm skimming through Facebook and I'm seeing people post them, I thought it was that original Mego figure that I've already got. You know, right. the eight inch figure. By the time I, you know, it's actually I think it was Michael's letter here that made me realize it was the twelve inch figure and that I had missed it. You know, so. Now, I will say this, and may, we may have a happy ending here because there is a company that I've ordered things from before, and they, I get regular emails from them. They do advertise that they're about to have more of the figures come in. Now, I don't know if, if Distinctive Dummies actually did more figures just because they sold so quick, or if this is one that's been somehow made it past, passed around that, that, you know, somehow what, that somebody else had. But What was the original production run? How many? Uh, I don't think he says it. I don't know what okay. it is, but I know they don't do many of them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, um, but to sell out the entire run in four days, Jesus yeah, Christ! Yeah, yeah, which is encouraging because it shows again. That, I mean, it will encourage people to do more figures like that. I'm right. sitting here thinking, like, oh man, if we can get like an uh, Alaric Demarnik figure, things like that, that would be awesome. Yeah. But um, anyway, I, I did when this came through, and I found this company that advertised that they were supposed to to be 
getting some more of the figures in. I've already got one on order. Whether it will come through or not, I don't know. So maybe I've not totally missed my chance. You know, my first thought when I realized I missed it was, well, my wallet's probably better off for it because God knows I don't <laughs> need to be spending over $100 for it. But I know that I would have. I wouldn't have been able to resist it. So <laughs> yes, then when I, I finally, have, yeah, so then when I finally had the chance to order it, yes. Yeah. So, Michael, I may or may not uh, stay tuned. I'll let everybody know whether whether I end up having it. If not, I may have to come kill you and get yours. So... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> do not do not provide yeah, do not, do too not. much personal information yeah, yeah. to an Ashy cast <laughs> because that may turn you into a future victim. <laughs> do not lock your door and uh, okay. So anyway, keep up the good work, fellows, and don't be afraid to revisit some Nashi classics that you've covered before. There are only so many of them, and with your advanced insight into the Nashi verse, you could add to the previous podcast information and discussion. Besides, we never get tired of Nashi's best work. And that's from Michael, and we appreciate that very much. And I want to thank you. Very, I want to thank you very much for those kind words, especially yes, that definitely. bit at the end. Encour- oh, the, any encouragement to go back and to uh, to talk about the uh, films we co- covered early in the uh, the first few years of the podcast yeah. is 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 really it's it, it's really great. It makes me feel a little bit better about my urge to do a little bit of that. Because um, yeah, I, that is yeah, because yeah. yeah, that is good that people would be interesting in hearing you know yeah. hearing us talk more about this stuff. That's always good. So I, I do say that one of the reasons to do it from my perspective is just that I there's a part of me that fears. <laughs> you don't um, want to say this is the final episode. You fear no, that no, 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 no. It just makes me <laughs> no, no. This makes me fear that. Um, I may have forgotten oh, things. Yeah, right. Yeah, and maybe it's things that only occur to you when you're in. You know, you're in yeah. that intensive yeah. research of trying to make sure that you pull together everything that you can find about a particular movie. Mm-hmm. And so there are all these things that you learn at the time that are that unfortunately become ephemeral. Ephemeral as mm-hmm. time passes, and so I almost wonder if going back. And looking at some of these films again, I will have that blossoming of, of mm-hmm. discovery again, that feeling of, mm-hmm. wow, surprise. Mm-hmm. And, you yeah. know, and yeah. so yeah. Um, uh, I, in, in other words, I'm beginning to fear my own mind, <laughs> beginning to fear my memory. <laughs> so um, thank you. Thank you for yeah. uh, for being being willing to say the essentially what I want to hear. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so he follows it up with, hey, guys. I just wrote a couple of days ago, but today I discovered that NashiCast 56 is up, and this is a follow-up after listening to that. Okay. Usually you post on the website at the very end of the month, so that's the reason I wrote before listening to it. Uh, You threw him off, Rod. Sorry. Uh, again, uh, uh, Court would be very disappointed with you for not not being I know, on a schedule. Court, being court is good at schedule keeping. He really is. I suck. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit it, man. He says, anyway, it was another interesting podcast. I would recommend getting the Crimson Blu-ray, even if it isn't a favorite film. The commentary track alone is worth buying it for. As Troy said, Richard Harlan Smith gets into great detail about the actors in particular and Eurocult in general. Seeing Crimson complete and looking so nice actually brought the film up a notch, in my opinion. It's still not close to Nashi's best, but if you love this stuff, it's well worth having in the video library. Uh, one new Nashi product you didn't mention is the Werewolf in, in the Amazon collection on DVD. <laughs> well, there's probably we, a reason for that. We, no, we have actually we mentioned other shows. Before, yet. We just didn't mention it. It's just that we're not. It's not. We're just not yeah. bursting with enthusiasm for it. Is it? But yes, we should. We should mention again that a DVD collection of I think it's about four films on the on four, the disc. four or five Brazilian horror films. Yeah, yeah. Uh, does have a werewolf in the Amazon. He's correct. He says I'm glad I didn't buy an overpriced bootleg of the movie and waited to get this factory set. The film isn't great. We agree. We know. But it's fun. Okay, if you insist. And it's important <laughs> and it's important for the prominent appearance by Nashi. Yeah, Nashi has fun in it, you know, like he always does. I will, I will, I will grant you as uh, mm-hmm. if you're a Nashi fan, yeah. Yeah, it's, sure. It's worth it's definitely. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, the set itself is well put together, and I found the films quirky and enjoyable. It's certainly worth the reasonable cost if you're a monster fan. I, w- I-, I would not mind seeing the other films on the set. Well, I, pr- I probably will get it at some point. My, so. Yeah, I, honestly, I do have my eye on that set because mm. of primarily the other films on the set. Because even mm. if yeah. they all end up sucking, mm. I am a sucker for foreign uh, foreign horror films. Yeah. And, you know, and, and just to see what they do, just to see what yeah. other societies, other cultures actually bring to the genre. So, yeah. yeah. He says, it was fun to hear your updated discussion of Horror Rises, which has always been one of my Nashy 8s. The only 9 is Werewolf Shadow, and there isn't a 10 for me. He says, your guest reviewer has the same reaction to Nashy's work that I fear many, if not most... Uh, he was talking about Chris. Chris talking about Christopher Page. He says, uh, your guest reviewer has the same reaction to Nashy's work that I fear many, if not most, younger horror fans would. And by younger, I'm referring to anyone who grew up after the 1970s. So they've been conditioned, or blinded, by too many rapid-fire jump cuts and over-the-top special effects... CGI overload and the dependency on a very fast paced film they must learn to appreciate a slower paced story which actually takes time to develop characters and build atmosphere which is essential in good horror the late great archaic Al Hewitson of Skywald fame yes those are my favorite horror magazines I've said before yes. he called it horror mood one either loves it or they don't being Euro horror fans we love it I'm not trying to sound like a gatekeeper or an old fart this uh-huh. just seems to be the way it is from what I've experienced you know, and, after and, I, and, and I agree with him. He's and, right. Yes. And, and and it's made me think of something. I mean, maybe think about, you know, we do talk a lot about kind of, you know, the, the newer, younger people, you know, like, and, you know, we talk about the, you know, the sometimes over kinetic, crazy pace and editing of modern films, you know, that, that we can sometimes lament and bemoan can be done very well, certainly. Oh, certainly. Of course. But it does make me realize that, you know, we talk about how, you know, I... You know, I, I, I didn't fidget in my seat when I was watching horror movies growing up, even, you know, though there was a lot of talking and, you know, to get to the monsters. But the thing is, is we didn't, maybe we didn't fidget because we didn't know, I mean, there was no alternative. All the movies were like that. Yes. I mean, you knew on some level that you had to sit through this certain thing before... Before you got before to, you got the payoff, you had you to got, eat the vegetables before you yes, got the dessert. There you go. You yeah. didn't have films like Evil Dead, which you know kicks off in the first ten minutes and then never slows down, never right. stops. You know, you hadn't gotten that era of filmmaking. So when we were little, we didn't have any. We didn't have any choice. And so maybe that's one reason why we were able to take it so much better is because there wasn't a. You know uh, that that was just we just it was just understood. It's like there's going to be mushy stuff till you get to the till you get to the giant monster. Well, know? there's also the fact that I think that. And in some of this is conditioning. Let's always remember that yeah. this is conditioning. Depending yeah. on when you were born and when you started watching films, yeah. you are conditioned mm. to appreciate the films that you see as a youngster more than mm. other films. Especially if there has been a shift, a perceptible mm. shift mm. in mm. the 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 film techniques used to tell stories. So. You and I are of an age where we saw movies when we were when we were coming of age and 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 really getting into film that were made in the seventies and eight seven the sixties and seventies and early eighties primarily and that was a very different culture yeah. that those yeah. films grew out of and therefore the techniques mm-hmm. used as the, as the sophistication level of storytelling increased during that period although uh, the, the 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 rating system came in mm-hmm. and so it was possible to make. Uh, films with uh, with very different tones, and you weren't uh, walled off from certain subject matter. Mm. But one of the things that stayed the same, that's kind of a part of classic storytelling mm. from the Hollywood era forward, mm. is that you deliberately pace your story in a way that is specific to the type of story you're telling. Yeah. So if you're telling a horror story or a ghost story, something along those mm. lines, mm. you do not start off at rocket speed no. because that's where you want to mm. end up. In other yeah. words. You don't start out sprinting right. because mm-hmm. sprinting for 90 minutes mm-hmm. will, will wear your audience out. Right. Now, it is possible to sprint for 90 minutes 
But depending on the story you're telling, if you're Mad Max yes, or something, you right. know, it's like, yeah, then it works to do yeah. that. Yeah. But the the thing is, pacing is probably almost always going to be one of the, the things that even if a, a modern viewer can't put words to it, it's the mm. thing that freaks them out or turns them off or pushes sure. them away. Yeah. And we, we've, of course, talked about this before, so I'm probably covering ground that I've already covered repeatedly. Well, and, and we don't ever, at any way, we're not in any way ever suggesting that, that, that like, Chris is in any way shallow for his. No, it, like Chris all. knows films. He knows what he likes. He's very good at well, discussing plus, films. But the thing I is... I haven't... Well, go, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, but when he's, he's talking about Horror Express and he was saying that he thought it was slow, you know, we're sitting there thinking, like, what are you talking about? It's got all this always got, something. Yeah. It's got all this stuff in it, but you, uh, once again, you do realize that, okay, by more modern film pacing, you know, yeah. just the fact that it has, you know, everything, even though there's so much going on, nothing happens quickly in the film. Like even the scene where they're disinterring the bodies, you know, that's a long, deliberate, and we watch it and we think, God, there's so much atmosphere here. There's so much cool camera angles here and things yeah. like that. The sets are beautiful. And but it's a yeah. slow developing scene. And so, you know, we, we, I do concede, you know, that, that, you know, I'm sitting there looking at the film and thinking like, it's the most loaded with, with stuff in it as, as almost any Euro horror film is, but yeah. I'd also realize that, you know, compared to any modern film post, you know, from the late seventies on, it's 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 probably, you know, it's probably, probably still kind of a bit of more of a glacial pace, you know. Than, but here's the thing, a little update. Uh I need to I'm I, I need to contact Christopher um to specifically request that he uh once once again do us a solid and do what he did with oh, yeah. uh, with Horror Rises from the Tomb because uh, he did in the course of October watch several more Nashi films. Okay, yeah, I'd love to know it. And his reaction to uh, the Mummy's Revenge or Vengeance of the Mummy mm-hmm. was pretty much my reaction to oh, Vengeance of the Mummy. Oh. He he, I I think he may love that movie as much or more than me. Oh, he cool. really took to that film, mm-hmm. and uh, I know he watched uh, a few others as well. And I'm 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 now struggling to remember. I think he watched Vengeance of the Zombies, okay, and uh, a couple of others. But I mean, he went on a Nashy tear, so he did not have the he did not have the reaction that you fear, which is mm. eh, this one was okay. okay. I liked parts of it; it wasn't mm. great. He had the opposite, which is mm. to just dive in, and okay. at least I'm. I, if I remember what he was writing um, uh, back and forth on uh, Facebook, he loved Vengeance mm. of the Mummy. So I'd love to hear. It. I'd love. I'd love him to watch uh, Doctor Jekyll and the Werewolf, and and also Hunchback in the Morgue, may, and see what he thinks of those. He may have seen mm. one of those too. Like I say, I've got to yeah. prevail upon him to once again mm-hmm. um, <laughs> a- add his voice to uh, a future podcast to let us know his thoughts on those particular films because uh, mm. clearly. You don't watch four or five more films by the guy if if he if he were turned off. So. Oh yeah, I definitely thought he was intrigued. I definitely yeah. thought he was kind of hooked, despite himself in the Nashy. You know, the Nashy <laughs> Musk has got you, Chris. Once you may deny it, once, it's got you. Once it's there, it's there forever, baby. <laughs> All right. So to finish up Michael's letter, he says, "I'm certainly in favor of you revisiting Nashy classics that you covered before. I listened to Nashy Cast three recently, and I think Night of the Howling Beast might be a good chance to revisit." In uh, National yeah. Cast 3, you guys hadn't seen the U.S. version with the nude bits. I'm assuming by now you have both the Spanish and U.S. versions. Ver- virgins. We want Spanish and U.S. virgins, yes. Uh, the Spanish and U.S. versions. <laughs> and only each, I knew any Spanish or U.S. versions. Version. I'm not sure there's any left. It's like, yeah. And each is worthy of a good discussion. 
Cult Action offers both versions in a two-disc set, which is where I purchased mine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. That's right. I, I did, his, that's and you, right. you I, did I respond and tell him that you, yeah. you pointed him towards the .5 episode we did. The very we first did one actually, we did. Yeah, yeah where we, did. We, we got our hands mm-hmm. on a really muddy-looking version of the longer cut of uh, Night of the Howling Beast, mm-hmm. and, or Werewolf and the Yeti, whatever title you want to call it by. Mm-hmm. And uh, it did off, it did offer uh, some real food for thought, because mm-hmm. it, yeah, one, it, it one filled thing in that, some... some uh, well, and it made a really good question, remember? Yeah, if you remember yeah. correctly, one of our thoughts about that movie was the female lead, mm-hmm. uh, we felt might have been a virgin, which would have allowed her to do what she does, because of the, that is the one the one of the Valdemar Daninsky films mm-hmm. where Valdemar survives and yeah, is actually yeah, cured. Yeah. And our, we posited, you know, is the film trying to point to her as a, vir, you know, as a virgin, the, the reason mm-hmm. that she's able to accomplish this? But then you see that longer cut, and you're like, nope, they get down to fucking. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, apparently, apparently there are loopholes in Nashi's uh, Daninsky mythology especially if it allows him to get laid so well, see, that's just it that's just it that's something we layered onto the film that's yeah. not that's not specifically that's brought true. out that's it's true. just something we just that we, assumed, we wanted yeah. well we were it's like is this what the if, movie's alluding to is this something right. that we're yeah. building into it and, and if you mm-hmm. look at that longer cut yeah that was all our bullshit there <laughs> um he finishes up by saying the Spanish print of the, the this double feature or double set of the two versions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Spanish print is prettier, but the U.S. version from Independent International is the more complete, grittier version with the naughty bits. He mm-hmm. says, uh, hopefully some of Nash's classics that BCI never got to will uh, be first up on the Blu-ray with extras list. Uh, he said, yeah, because uh, we've seen what some of the stuff BCI was going to put out, and it's pretty painful yeah, to see what, uh, what we missed really out on. It really is. He says, keep doing the nationist, gents, and thanks. Well, thank you, Michael. Those are awesome yeah. letters. We appreciate it from all, all you folks there. Always uh, send us your thoughts, and whether as MP3s or, or, or directly to our um, nashicast at gmail.com or uh, send them to our Facebook page. But just stay in touch with us and all this stuff. We love the feedback. Certainly, we'll take any questions, comments, insults, money, mm. and yeah, or was, ge- and money, list, 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 gems, jewelry, yeah. <laughs> precious metals, anything of that nature. Uh, Nashycast at gmail.com is where you want to send that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And if you would like to send any 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 amount of money at all, uh, go to the Bloody Pit of Rod or the Nashycast blog page, and uh, just tap on that donate button and put in a triple or a quadruple digit figure, mm. and everyone will be happy. Mostly mm. me. <laughs> so yeah. that we got to be able to buy all these Blu-rays coming up. Oh, it's true. God, but yeah. how, how do I budget for this outside mm-hmm. of the occasional bank robbery? So. <laughs> Folks, I want to thank you once again for joining us and letting us uh, tickle your ears with our bullshit discussion of insane psycho films. Mm -hmm. Uh, This time around, a bizarre Western. A bizarre, yes, a very bizarre Western. That may or may not have been built from two Star Trek episodes. (laughs) So uh, tune in uh, next month where we are going to go over onto the Bloody Pit podcast feed once again. Troy and I will zigzag zigzag back and forth just to Mm -hmm. keep you confused and Mm -hmm. uh, out of touch and pretty much convinced that we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Part of that is true. Yes. But next month, being December, we go back to the well of holiday horrors. We are joined by John Hudson to sit down and discuss another odd holiday film. One that is a bit, well, I got to say, last year was New Year's Evil. Mm-hmm. Great response to that. Mm-hmm. This year, another very easy to locate on Blu-ray uh, film mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. 80s, 1983, if memory serves. We mm-hmm. are going to cover Silent Night, Deadly Night, which uh, is a Santa Claus slasher. Yep. Um, 
I don't think we've covered much in the way of slashers outside of New Year's Evil. Yeah, the which piece, means pieces, we, and I always liked that was another one. Is that would you call it a slasher? Well, it's, it's no, that's true. It was more of a chain. It was a chainsawer. It was a. It it's, was a, it was it, a it's more like a, an incredibly violent giallo. It was just a fucked up film. Let's be oh, it's a fucked up yeah. film. Yeah, right? but no, you're right. You're right. It's, it was more. Yeah, you're you're right. It was more of a. a, a yeah, so it wasn't really a classic slasher. So you're right. No, we've not really had a. Had too much in the way of that, so uh, yeah. uh, this be fine. And for bonus, for bonus, uh, we're, we're, we will probably cover the. We're talking about covering the remake. You know, the film was remaked as just Silent Night, not Silent Night, Daily Night, but just Silent Night. I think in 2012 is when uh, it came yeah, out. Yeah, just a few years ago. I can't remember precisely. And uh, that one can be found on uh, Netflix and another place. So uh, I think uh, we're going to talk about both uh, both uh, the first one and the remake. So. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that, that's the goal. We hope mm-hmm. uh, we hope mm-hmm. that all three of us are able to uh, see see both versions of the film just to be uh-huh. able to compare and contrast. I've heard some good things about the remake, but you never can tell. So, mm-hmm. once again, that's next month over on the Bloody Pit. Thank you very much for being mm-hmm. here. Yes. And of course, we do have other things lined up. Two, uh, 2017 will uh, will definitely be another year of uh, covering. Odd, bizarre, out of the ordinary, and strange, fucked up movies. Mm-hmm. And that is how we like to do it. So. Thanks. Come visit us again. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. See you later.